Hey, Sid. Hey, how are you? Yourself? Really, really, really good. So, where'd you? Uh, where is that music from? Cuba. You got it. Fantastic. One of my favorite yeah, songs. Yeah, that's a really uh, that's a good far. good vibe there. That's really chill. It is chill as anything. I just love it. Some I was down visiting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You were visiting. You were visiting someone. I was I was down in the states for about uh, ten days, but I visited my daughter in L.A. and she's always playing that on her uh, in her car. So got me back into it. <laughs> That's awesome. How was your uh, How was you, your traveling? Yeah, you still listen. Oh, it was great, great. I spent some time in uh, Washington D.C. with a couple of uh, folks uh, that I knew there, and then I went to Denver where I used to work for uh, three or four days, some business meetings and, and just meeting some old friends. And then off to LA, saw my daughter. So it was just uh, wonderful. Never had such a good time with her ever. Oh, that's great. Awesome to hear, Sid. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, part three of our series, part two was fantastic. We had pretty good engagement there. A lot, a lot of listeners. Um, I think people are, are starting to feel more comfortable uh, engaging with you and um, are starting to understand where you're going with all of this. Obviously things are moving pretty quickly in the world still. Um, So the end of money as we knew it, part three, Bitcoin, gold, and the control of the world. And I did, I put all of your slides in the nest so people can follow. Um, There's 10 slides. For some reason I thought there was nine. So um, they'll figure, people will figure it out because I I said, and this one. But um, did you want to start with slide one or did you want to, where do you, where do you yeah. want to take it? Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, we're, we're building on a theme. We, we started uh, talking about uh, investing broadly, but it was in a, within, a, within a, uh, a global context of uh, life and thinking about life. And what, I, what I'm trying to do is, uh, is uh, provide or communicate something that is, that is not uh, really done anywhere else in the world, and that's comprehensive. And that's what I'm trying to, trying to work on. Now, it just so happens that the, there's an acceleration towards the control of money around the world right now with Russia, Brazil, China uh, getting incredibly anxious on it. It was even on CNN a couple of weeks ago, but it's accelerating rapidly. And now uh, Elon Musk is talking about uh, getting involved in uh, crypto and Twitter, I believe. So it's really expanding rapidly along with the whole global warring type of situation, et cetera, et cetera, the whole woke crew and the and the, the, the war in the Ukraine, China, etc. So it's all coming together. And I think one good way to talk about it is through what's happening with money and currency control uh, and uh, talking about gold and Bitcoin is good. So uh, the thing right now is I think I can run through all the stuff in about. I think it'll be interesting all the way through. Okay. And I'm trying to set a comprehensive approach that talks about the philosophy of existence and life takes it down to money, gets into Bitcoin and gold and what's happening. So that's what these slides are about. I think I can do it fairly well. And I think it's sort of, I'm trying to keep it uh, uh, not not for um, entertainment purposes, but I'm also trying to keep the humor in there because if you can't laugh about stuff, then you're going to cry about it. So you might as well laugh about the world the way it is. So so that's, where, that's what starts on slide one. And I think, I think an hour and a quarter would be good. Then we could probably have a fairly good discussion around it, around sort of these uh, these themes, if, if that's uh, if that's okay. Absolutely, yep. Let's okay. do it. It sounds right. good. 
Okay, so uh, first, just some introductory comments, not on the slides, but it leads into it. Uh, the questions are, the philosophical questions are, does Bitcoin depend on the existence of a true myth? Or stated differently, can the world, can the world, whatever that means, be perfect? Because Bitcoin, I think, attempts to be a perfect system. Two, is Bitcoin different from gold? Three, is gold a fertile fallacy? Uh, which is uh, George Soros' concept for what runs the world, fertile fallacies, which he takes advantage of to make lots of money. Uh, next, similarly, is Bitcoin a fertile fallacy? And if all of the above is false, will governments uh, still allow the emperor? Will the emperor still allow Bitcoin? Uh, and the issue is the relationship between the mathematical idea, which is Bitcoin substantially, and computer science and, you know, social incentives. Will that work? It'll work in the world of bits and bytes, but will it work in interaction with the physical world? where services are physical, which, which they are primarily, and where goods are physical. Um, so the underlying messages are, one, uh, money makes the world go around, and two, uh, knowledge, read that as technology, is always potentially dangerous. And there's that famous myth of Prometheus, and there's a story of Pandora's box. I'd suggest that people don't know it, they look up Prometheus and the theft of fire from the gods. In, in Wikipedia, and then look up the story of uh, Pandora's box. I don't want to get too carried away, but, but it's all quite relevant. Okay, uh, first slide. All right. Now, first slide is called, uh, what's the context for Bitcoin? Is there anything new here? So is that okay, Carl? Yep. Okay. So um, if you go to Ecclesiastes, which is the book of wisdom literature, which has been around for a long time, it says... What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Some people may recognize that as coming from the Old Testament. The story there is there's nothing new that ever happened. It's all happened before, uh, which I think is true about gold, Bitcoin, and everything else that's going on around us right now today, including uh, what happened in 2020. Two, there is a thing. This is an Ecclesiastes. There is a thing of which someone will say, see this? It is new like Bitcoin. And then Ecclesiastes says, it's already been done ages ago, before us. And then it says, in in some kind of language uh, translation, there's no remembrance of former generations, neither will the later ones have any remembrance among those that will be afterwards. What that's saying is not only do we, you and I, not remember prior generations, but the ones which will come long after us won't even remember the ones that came after us. So nothing new under the sun. All right. So that's sort of the first preamble of Bitcoin. Now I'll talk about, I talked about the concept of fertile fallacies, that, that there's no fundamental analysis that's absolutely true in investing. And George Soros goes for that. And that, you know, we all make up stories. We go with it. Gold has a value. That's a story. Fiat currency, you can trust it. That's the story. It says, on God we trust. That's the story. Um, that concept comes from Plato and Socrates. I've mentioned that before. And Plato and Socrates, and actually Aristotle, invented the modern world we live in uh, 2,400 years ago. That's the world we're living in. And before that, it was spiritual, biblical, Egyptian. It was a very, very different world. We're still living in that Greek-Roman-type way of talking and thinking. 
And there's three key myths in uh, in Socrates' uh, uh, The Republic, which is the book about justice and, and the way a city should be working, okay? Those three myths are the allegory of the cave, the myth of the metals, and the, and the allegory of Ur. And I think a lot of the people... You know, know what the uh, what the allegory of the cave is. So, but the other myths are very important as well. Now, I have a little comic on the first slide. There's these three fish in the ocean. There's the older fish and two younger fish. And the older fish is swimming along. It meets the younger fish and says, "Well, boys, how's the water?" And one of the younger fish says to the other fish, "What's water?" Well, that's the importance of context. Fish don't realize they're in water. And what is it we don't realize we're in? Um, now, Plato came up with this uh, concept of how do, you, how do you form a perfect society, which is what Bitcoin's trying to be and what gold actually was trying to be and what uh, what the uh, uh, money was supposed to be, at least after the American Revolution, a per- part of a perfect society. And uh, when Plato talks about how you form a perfect society, he says in it, and I've got the quote there, he says, you have to come up with a mechanism to to create that society. It's called a mechanos a machine, a mechanism. Now, that word mechanism is translated by opportune falsehood, which is interesting. That's the way it's been translated for hundreds of years because a mechanism really is false. A mechanism is not natural. It's something man's created to, to do things. And then he says the mechanism by which you create a society is called the well-born false thing, the well-born false thing. Now, so what he's saying is all societies are based on well-born or, or, or well-bred or nobly born false things. For example, Bitcoin's got eight or nine or ten different assumptions on it, like cryptography, uh, social engineering, um, avoiding the double spend, probabilistic confirmation, all these, all these noble ideas are noble things. But he calls these things the, the, false, the false pseudo thing. Or, or sorry, he calls it the, the nobly born pseudo thing. Good intentions, but it's not necessarily, in fact, it isn't by definition true. That way of thinking got invented by the Greeks, and that underlies the criticisms of Bitcoin, anarchy, Marxism, capitalism. It underlies all those types of things. And um, I just mentioned that because that really, when you start to realize what ideas are, and this is why, you know, Soros talks about fertile fallacies. And even in science, science is about, Things you can prove to be false, not things you cannot prove to be false, because you can't prove anything is true. That this underlies the nature of our discussion and how we talk and how we communicate. Okay, I'll move on to the next slide. Uh, the next slide has got Harvey Kittel on it and uh, all kinds of famous people. If you remember Pulp Fiction, right? Did you see that movie, Carl? Pulp Fiction, yes. I, I should probably rewatch it, but I, I've seen yeah. it a few times. Yeah, yeah. I've only seen it about thirty times. One of my favorite movies. So, on the top left of that slide, I give the example of uh, thirty-four fallacies or thirty-four myths, thirty-four um, false, well-born things, right? And and they're all sort of myths. Free will may be a myth. The, the fact that people have expertise like Dr. Fauci or anybody for that matter, that's, pro- that's a myth. That money has a time value, that's a myth. That platforms exist, I'm talking social media platforms, that's a myth. That government is a thing, that's a myth. These are all myths. It's not something that's completely false, uh, like, like saying something that's totally false. So in the postmodern world we live in, 
you know, people seem to claim nothing is true, so everything is false, perhaps. But those are what, what is meant by myths. Now, uh, when you look at uh, myths, you look at Harvey Cattell, he's uh, Winston Wolf, and he says to Quentin Tarantino, Jimmy, do what I say when I say it, right? Well, that's governments, and uh, that's the societies where they're not trying to be just, but they're just trying to keep things under control. Now, um, there's a little article in the bottom left there called Crypto Anarchism and Cryptocurrencies, which is sort of a pun on words. Crypto Anarchism meaning meeting hidden currencies, right? So there's a whole, that goes back to the cyberpunks, that you know culture in the late 90s, early 2000s, that uh, wanted to develop software quietly and sort of keep away from government. Now, the word anarchy means without archons, which means without government. So all that anarchy means is you haven't got a government. And the implication is that people are happiest and freest, etc., best off when there's no government, which is a libertarian concept. And it's a concept that I think many people in the Bitcoin maximalist movement, which is a strong movement, it's, it's the movement that supports all this, um, subscribes to. And that's also what, what frightens uh, China, Russia, and of course, very much Congress and the Senate, Republican and, and the Democratic Party. That's why they're, they're not very happy with gold. That's why they're not very happy with Bitcoin. They're trying to take over Bitcoin, become you know, U.S. GovCoin. And so was the World Bank, and so are the Russians as we speak. And I'll talk about that at the end. Uh, they're tr- so what Bitcoin is trying to do is reinvent society as we know it, uh, which means the end of money as we know it. And there's, there's a long history of individuals or people reinventing society. Most attempts fail. Some attempts have succeeded. That can happen in Egypt. succeeded for a while. Julius Caesar ended uh, the, the Republic and, and created his empire. Moses, if he existed, created the new world. Martin Luther did. Henry VII and VIII did. Lincoln did and Washington did. Those people successfully created the new world. And I give an example of Henry VII and VIII who uh, basically created new history. It was called Anglia Historia. It had to rewritten. Uh, Henry VIII defined himself to be the, uh, the ancient uh, offspring of Constantine the first Catholic emperor of the Roman Empire, and thereby eliminated the Catholic Church and the Catholics and created what is today modern England under the Church of England, although that's sort of changing. He did that very successfully, and uh, so those things happen. So the occasional what we might call revolution does actually occur, does actually work. So that ties into uh, gold crypto and this mega perspective from which I'm trying to look at it. If you go to the next uh, slide, the next slide is called The Origin of Gold, Notes, and Bitcoin. How hey, to place... hang, hang on a sec, Sid. Just wanted yep. to remind everyone, if you want to speak, uh, if you have a question, if I don't know you, just private message me, DM me the question first. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Sid will tackle it, no doubt. But I just want to just kind of want to know what you want to talk about. Um, just send me a request and uh, we'll go from there. Sorry. Continue, Sid. Yeah, and uh, I, I think uh, I think I can get through again this this fairly quickly because there's a whole theme here through the theme, and then and then I think the question is sort of you know the discussion falls into place at a uh, at I hope a really good level of that you don't get in the universities and you don't get certainly in CNN or in social media. I, I hope this is where we're going. We'll see. 
Okay, there's there's a couple of scenes here from uh, Pulp Fiction. You've got Jules and you've got Pumpkin. First, Pumpkin is robbing everyone in the restaurant. He's got his gun pointed at Jules. And then one minute later, uh, Jules has got the gun pointed at Pumpkin, right? Remember that scene? I do, yep. Right. Well, so the question is, who's Pumpkin? Uh, is he Bitcoin or is he the government? Who's got the gun first and who's got the control second? <laughs> That's good. That's what's going on. And Pumpkin could be Bitcoin or it could be Peter Schiff, you know, Mr. Gold. Okay. All right. Now, let's get back to sort of money. And Bitcoin inadvertently, uh, you know, Bitcoin, uh, cryptocurrencies and encryption technology was initially meant to, to, to deal with privacy. You know, Visa cards, credit cards were getting going in the 70s and 80s. People didn't like to disclose their information. So all the computer scientists wanted to develop a, a privacy system for Visa, MasterCard, where you could keep your information. And they virtually all failed. They virtually all failed to get really big. Uh, you know, PayPal sort of got in there successfully. But to maintain total privacy never really quite worked. Bitcoin decided to avoid doing that. Uh, Bitcoin went after cash, the transfer of cash, meaning the transfer of currency without looking at, at uh, credit cards. And credit cards, of course, deal with notes. Now, the interesting thing is that money originally, not originally, but fairly early, was only cash. And notes or payables or credit became money afterwards. So it's funny how Bitcoin only really deals well, apparently, possibly with, 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 with money money thing come from i talked about it a bit last time but if you don't understand the original concept of money which was not money by the way the early concept of currency that how currency becomes a thing and how the thing acquires a value if you don't understand that happens all the time over and over again you can't understand why people are talking about investing in bitcoin as opposed to using bitcoin that okay yeah absolutely okay so I summarized this at the top of that page. Number one, we started 6,000 years ago. The exchanges of things, I'm talking food, clothing, etc., came to, and they, they used things to exchange things. And those things were in that culture called prices. They only had prices. Number two, prices were given a context. They used grain, actual, actual bits of grain. That was the way you set a price. A piece of meat was 35 pieces of grain, you know, uh, uh, grains of, of grain, 35 granules of grain. Uh, a service was 20, 22 grains, and they tithed to the priests, and they tithed to the, you know, the, the priests, both the, the Hebrews and the Egyptians. Now, it's interesting, the word grain carried over to grains of gold, and grains of silver, right? That's not a coincidence. That's because that's what money was, grain. Now, grain, therefore, was a price. And that's what in economics is called the numeraire, just the price. But it wasn't wealth. Wealth at that time was natural wealth, food, comfort, uh, animals. That was wealth. Kids, wives, husbands. That was wealth. It was it was something that kept you alive, and kept you from dying. That was the original meaning of wealth. Uh, grain was just the next form of pricing to establish some kind of transfer. Okay. Now, the wealth started to be thought of as something called money, uh, and that was after the Hebrews. So we're already 3,000 years you know, from early recorded history that we're aware of. But 
they didn't use the word, they didn't have a word for money. They had a word called silver and they had a word for gold. So when the word silver, which is kusuf in Hebrew, was translated, it's translated as money or sometimes as silver, but there was no concept of, of money, which is interesting. Now, the tangible idea of money became reified, became made into a thing, and we call those idols. That's what an idol, I-D-O-L is. Oh, I don't want this little statue you pray to. An idol is something that's not real, and you've, you've, you've given it a real existence. In your mind, you've created it. They also call them fetishes. A fetish is a thing which really was, uh, represents something else, and you treat that thing which is a representation as the thing itself. People think of it sexually, but fetish is a very common term. It's, so money became a homonym, which means the same word for wealth. So wealth was actually called money, and money was called money, but they're really separate things. So the intangible thing becomes a thing, and that's where hoarding starts. And that's where hoarding goes. That's pretty goes. deep, Finn. It's pretty it's, deep. It's deep. But, but if you want to talk about is Bitcoin worth a million dollars or $10,000 or is gold worth whatever, you're hoarding it. You can't eat gold. That's been pointed out many times, Right. You can't eat Bitcoin. Bitcoin can't give you water if you're thirsty. It's really nothing, but it's become wealth, whereas wealth is really things that keep you alive. And to really talk about this stuff intelligently, I mean, on a higher level than AOC and the Republicans and, and Putin and uh, Hillary Clinton and Christine Lagarde over in Europe, if you want to think about it more intelligently, you have to get down to what is it really, because... Because they're thinking about it as bullets, as ways to control people through money. Now, uh, the world became. So how do you quantify the? How do you quantify the value? If you come to that realization, how do you? You know, how do you? How do you quantify the value? Like, oh, should I own this in my portfolio? Um. Okay. Uh, first of all, it's interesting about quantifying value because I think a lot of the Bitcoin maximalists know von Mises really well. And von Mises pointed out there's no such thing as valuing an asset. It's all about human choice. You, you choose different things, but they have no definable value. You just make a choice of one thing over another. That's what pure economics really is, and that's what freedom is. That's von Mises. That's Bitcoin maximalism. That's gold maximalism. Uh, but how do you choose what to do? Well, yeah, well, uh, first of all, you have to determine what you think Bitcoin is or what gold is. If you think it's just something to transact with, and if, then, you know, why do you want to transact with it versus gold or versus fiat currency? That's a transactional thing. And a lot of people don't do too much transacting on it. Now, if you actually buy it in order to believe its price is going to go up in dollars or in local currency, or if you think other people are going to actually use it for, for transacting, that's the analysis you have to do, right? Yeah. So when guys like Peter Schiff are going off saying, you know, Bitcoin has no value, while he might not be wrong from one perspective, he's not telling the other side of the story, which is what a lot of the Bitcoin community wrap their arms around, which is more, which is deep. It's more of a deeper discussion like this. Right. Right. Well, Bitcoin does not necessarily have a value and gold does not necessarily have a value and and real estate does not necessarily have a value. And the reason I say that is because if you own real estate, unless you're a hermit or you're the last man standing in the Rocky Mountains or in the North Pole, 
and you're completely independent. You're a hermit, and you can you can eat uh, polar bear flesh. You can you can fish. You can grow your own food. You're depending on society for your real estate to have a value: electricity, hydro, security, police. So the value depends on faith in the system. Uh, the same thing applies to gold and Bitcoin. You have to believe other people are going to use it and see value, and no one is going to degrade. Uh, the, the the faith level in Bitcoin. If you don't believe that, and even though it's, so it's in theory a trustless system, etc., it's not a trustless system at all. There has to be developers. There have to, you have to have trust. Other people are going to use it. You have to have developers. That's for sure. And you have to have people producing computers, or you have to be able to build high power satellite phones, or, or you know your own analog machinery to get get around the internet. So. You have to have a social view of, of the society you live in or the world you live in. Once you have a social view, then you can start to determine how much of your your transactional price things or your things you live in or tents or, or, or sleeping bags, how many of those things you want based on your estimation of probabilities. I'm putting probably common sense into highfalutin terminology, but I think the highfalutin terminology is essential. Uh, you know, I could use modern terminology, say, well, you make a bet on Bitcoin, you make a bet on gold, you diversify, et cetera, et cetera. All right, you can do that. Uh, but you are making guesses as to what's going to happen or what the range of possibilities are. Now, if you're to ask me, is gold better than Bitcoin or vice versa? Well, personally, I think they're both at profoundly high risk right now because the government is going after cryptocurrencies and they're starting with Bitcoin big time. That's pretty obvious. You'd have to, you know, not be, you know, you're aware of that, right, Carl? It's yeah, it's, these, it's, yes, absolutely. It's in these slides. I give tons of examples. The IMF is just in the middle of issuing a new international coin, and so are the Russians and the Chinese right now as we speak. That's all come out, right? That's all been published. And the U.S. government's going to do the same. And they're, and they're, and Christian Lagarde said Bitcoin is nothing. She said that. It's quoted. You can find it on YouTube. And uh, the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, Hillary Clinton and what's his name, McCarthy, are saying that you have to you have to stop cryptocurrencies because it's hurting the U.S. dollar. Trump said the same. They're all in the same boat together. So you have to consider the fact that you live in a political system and that's going to have an effect on how you make your allocations. Um, That's my answer to your question. Uh, But in terms of value, we're not we're not talking value. We're talking we're talking survival in a sense. A value, you're talking speculative likelihood. You buy a stock, you know nothing about it. You buy Tesla or you buy General Motors or you buy an ESG company. You're speculating with very incomplete knowledge that the price you paid for it is less than the price you can get off it and that the price means something. Because if inflation is, let's say, infinite and the price only triples, price doesn't matter anymore. Lots of assumptions out there. Uh, you didn't have to make these assumptions or worry too much about it from 1945 up until about now. <laughs> but now things are getting very complicated. Is, does that help? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I mean, if you wanted to listen to Frank Justra and, uh, you know, the other guy, you know, debate, you know, uh, Bitcoin versus gold. I mean, I find this, I find the guys incredibly boring. <laughs> They're all trying to push their, 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 their marketing angle. I'm trying to get at it to, hey, how do you think about it personally? I'm not pitching anything. I'm just pitching uh, scientific thinking. What I mean by science is um, something that actually works. 
always, or being aware of what's wrong with it. That's really what science is. Science is you have to be able to prove something is not true. If you can't prove something is not true, it's not science, it's religion, it's dogma, or, or it's revealed knowledge. It's just something you just happen, happen to believe. Okay? All right. Now, uh, so, so money is, is went from being rice to being gold to being silver, from being prices to being wealth to being things to speculating in Bitcoin and speculating in gold. Gold hit 2050 this week. Um, Barrick went up. Bitcoin went from like a very low value to a, a less low value compared to where it's been. Everyone's getting excited. These people are speculating on price. That's all it is. Just speculating on price. And nothing ever lasted forever, by the way. Okay. Now, paper, paper is a debt obligation. That's number two in this list over here. That was an invention of a new kind of money. That was not a money which had a limited supply like gold that, or rice, which maybe is limited but has a limited life and you have to keep producing it. Just like for Bitcoin, you have to keep mining it probably to have a value. And for gold, you have to keep mining it to have a value. So paper was debt obligations, right? People just say, you know, I'm rich. I have a lot of gold, whatever. Uh, but tell you what, um, I'll, I'll lend it to you, but I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a note. And if somebody comes and gives me that note, I'll give them the gold. So all of a sudden, you've got fractional reserve banking, naturally created, not created by governments. Now, cryptocurrencies were supposed to deal with paper. Cryptocurrencies or encryption technology, double spins, etc. Encrypted, you'd be able to keep your privacy, which is what why you had the encrypted digital signature, etc. That was supposed to deal with with credit, but cryptocurrencies had, did not deal with credit because they couldn't. Uh, it deals with it doesn't deal with paper. Now let's see if paper is important when it comes to dollars. Okay, so I have that chart here, which I used a couple of weeks ago. But let's see, currency U.S. paper currency, most of which, by the way, is in Europe, two point three trillion dollars, right? Bank deposits uh, or bank reserves, which is government created, three trillion, and then you've got bank deposits and treasury securities. Now this is fascinating, Carl, and the listeners. Bank deposits right now are $17.25 trillion. So money created by banks or by people is $17.2 trillion. Transaction money. Look at the treasury securities. That's money created by the government. That is $24 trillion. And if you add bank reserves, it's $27 trillion. So um, government money is now 50% bigger than human being, man, woman, person, he, they, created money. What do you think of that, Carl? Well, it's a pretty staggering number. It tells you that who's really in control. It also tells you, by the way, because the velocity is more or less one, it tells you that 60, let me see, what is 27... I'll get my calculator out. You've got 27 plus 17. Okay. Let me just 27, 17. That's 44. And the government's 27 over 44. Uh, the government controls 60% of the economy. And that's just <laughs> with money. Never mind guns, bullets, and laws, and social media censorship. So that's the world we're living in. I've been talking about derogisme before. And, and the increased cost of capital in the private sector, etc. That's what that chart says. 
Now, I've just added something else, too, about machine learning. Now, the reason I'm adding something about machine learning, because, because there's something which was invented, as you know, called smart money. And who's taking over smart money right now? The government. And why is that? They control because, where that money goes. And it's bigger than that. There's something called NFTs. What are NFTs? Well, NFTs are colored coins. That's an ancient term. It's like three years old or five years old. NFTs are colored coins, which, which only have one color. And it's nobody else can have that color. They're unique coins, right? Well, what smart money the government's going to produce? It's a unique dollar. It's a unique penny. Every penny you spend is unique. They track you. And if they don't like you, you can't spend it. You can't eat. And, you can't, and you're dead. Uh, that's what smart money is going to be. That's what the Chinese have done. It's, it's way bigger than social credit, and that's where it's going, and that's what I think Bitcoin maximalists are worried about. Everybody's worried about it, but that's where it's pretty much going. Now, now you, can, now you add artificial intelligence to smart money. And what do you have? You have artificially smart money. What does that mean? That means that robots or bots are going to determine what you can and can't eat and who you are based on their analysis of who you are ai wise so the world's getting pretty scary awfully quick have you thought about that carl or, or definitely yes i've definitely thought about that how do you react well I, i'm more trying to figure out the the how and why right now but it seems pretty you know the world is getting faster um I don't really want to react to the comment because I really don't. I don't have a full. I don't have an opinion. I'm just kind of in real time trying to process it. Right. And then but I it's added, obvious. It's yeah. obvious. Though. Yeah, that's happening. So then I added the bottom from Sir Doji of the Coin. Mom says, "If your friend jumped off a bridge, would you jump too?" And the machine the machine learning algorithm says, "Where do I go to jump off?" Right. <laughs> yeah. And Elon Musk says, "That is artificial intelligence." So what Elon Musk is saying, and that's my view of artificial intelligence, is that there's two kinds of human intelligence. There's real intelligence with the capital I, and there's pretend intelligence with the small I. That's not intelligence. It's robotic, uh, medulla, oblongata, subconscious reaction, which some call it thinking. But let's just say that there's, there's stimulus response like Pavlov's dog, and there's intelligence. And that's for carbon units, i.e. human beings. Machine learning is all artificial. It's not intelligent. It's regression of the mean. And, El and you know, Elon, I was going to say Elton John for some reason. Elon Musk agrees with me. He's got a ha-ha 100. And that's, now Elon Musk sends too many Twitters. He obviously has a team of guys sending Twitters for him. But, uh, you know, they, he probably agrees with what they send because it, it sounds very Elon Musky as far as I can tell. Not that I even know he actually exists, but but there you go. So, Machine learning, artificial intelligence, NFTs. That's why I was talking about Pandora's box, and that's why I was talking about Prometheus. What happens is all the great new technology that the idealistic people create to make the world better, sooner or later, gets absorbed by the empire. Next slide. Okay, now the next slide is an interesting slide. I won't say too much about it, but if you want to have a model for money, in terms of money is a transactional device. You, you see that slide, right? Number five? Yeah. Okay. Money is a transactional device. Then the concept of the vocabulary of money, the theory of the price for money, then the goodwill speculative value of money, and inflation theories. I, I've summarized it after you know years of thinking about it and studying it, and here it is. Let me move over from the pharaonic times to the church, to the classic monetary theory, neoclassical. I'm going to get back to that later when we talk about von Mises and his buddies. 
to and to Allah talk about um you know what I yeah I'm going to talk about Fisher Keynes and Von Mises in the next slide but let's talk about what money has become what's the transactional device well it's fiat bbs bbs stands for a book based system everything's digital it's in the books there's the swift system what's the swift system well that's what the US uses to punish their enemies right that's what they've been doing with the Russians, the Ukrainians, the Iranians, the Venezuelans, the Cubans, you name it. And that's why the U.S. dollar finally is under attack very, very quickly. I see Santos agrees with that. Okay. So that's, that's the, the modern state political military theory of money. It's gone from being food, gold, and silver to power. Now, what's the counter-revolution? Well, the counter-revolution is open journals. I say open journals and not open ledgers because... Bitcoin doesn't use journals. They use ledger. They, they, they use journal. They don't use uh, ledgers. They use journals. I've always, I always get confused why they call it uh, ledgers. It's a journal. It's just a tra- it's 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 a transactional hashing. That's the counter revolution. Well, what's the counter counter revolution? The counter counter revolution is Hillary Clinton, Christine Lagarde, Donald Trump, and uh, McCarthy. They're t- they're taking over. Okay. Uh, what's the concept of the vocabulary? Well, money became a thing in and of itself. It went from Kusuf, Hebrew for silver, to maimon, riches, to meaning bad riches. The French word for money is argent. And as you probably know, argent is silver. And the English word for money is a pound. Well, they refer to a pound as silver. So you can see how this happened, right, Carl? Yeah. And then by the time you're into the 19th century, after the tulipomania, which is what got it going, and the South Sea bubble collapse and the Mississippi bubble the bubble of all bubbles, and we're in the bubbly, 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 bubbly. We're in the biggest bubble ever. Uh, <laughs> money became a thing in itself. Money was God, okay? And then that continued into the modern state. The modern state sees money as power, God, control. It's their survival to stop the revolutionaries. And what was Bitcoin? Bitcoin was going back to Egypt and back to the Hebrew. It was just a ledger and a price. That's what Bitcoin was supposed to be, right? Yeah. Now, unfortunately, Bitcoin could not work that way. And it couldn't work because Bitcoin required a consensus. And, 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 and it required some kind of communication, which required some kind of communication, which required some kind of agreement. Boom, you're mining. And, how do you, and mining is expensive. How do you get people to do stuff, to be good citizens, to say, yes, that's what everybody did? It's a pure democracy in theory. You got to mine. And, and all of a sudden you produce Bitcoin. So what was a, a revolution, which was getting back to the, the Hebrews and the Egyptians of price became, I want to be a billionaire. I'm buying Bitcoin. Boom. It's, it's already starting to fail. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Culturally. Right. All right. Now, so that's where we are. And if you look at the theory of price and money, you know, it used to be about price equals marginal cost. I'll talk about Keynes, von Mises, and Fisher in a minute, the next slide. But the whole theory of money's become, and this is what you hear from Jerome Powell. This is what you hear from Janet, whatever her name is, Yellen, and all these, all these, all these dudes. This is what you hear from all these, you know, not nice people really who are trying to hold on to their job and not get uh, eliminated by, by, by people. Money is now, it's not information like Keynes talked about. It's not uh, something which is natural, but if you overuse it, it's corruption with von Mises said. It's not an equilibrium concept that Irving Fisher said. These are all very, very important people, which I got to review, because 
because people inherently pick up these concepts in their mind. They don't even realize it. when they talk about it. They don't even know why they're saying it, where the ideas came from. They don't know what the alternatives are. And, you know, that's why you got to know who Keynes actually was and said, what von Meissey said, what Fisher said. But who's saying right now what they're saying? I'll tell you who's saying it. It's the state. Money is the USD. It's, it's the commodity-bracked uh, Brazilian, Russian, Venezuelan, Saudi Arabian coin. It's the financialization empire. It's the swift sanctions. Yes, it used to deal with unemployment and inflation, but that doesn't matter anymore, right? It's about derogisme, which is government control. It's about smart money, which is government NFT. The whole terminology of money has changed from what it used to be when you were a kid, Carl, and what it was 100 years ago, 200 years ago, and 3,000 years ago. Are you with me as to why I'm... Absolutely. Okay, and that helps us be logical. And by logical, I mean thinking in a way that's going to make your life healthier, happier, longer, and under good wisdom. It's going to give you a just life and a prudent life and a courageous life and a moderate life. That's why you need to at least get these concepts. And that's why we're talking about it. Now, as far as what's the, what's the value, the goodwill spec to the value, well, guess what? <laughs> I would say myself the general greed level on Bitcoin is at least as high as the greed level on gold and perhaps even higher. We can discuss that. And finally, in terms of inflation theories, yeah, they've talked about inflation. Back in uh, 2016, 17, 18, 19, 20, a lot of the maximalists talked about inflation and stuff. We'll talk about it. But uh, we're now beyond inflation. We're now beyond inflation, even with Bitcoin. Uh, so we'll, we'll get to that next. So I'll, I'll move on to the next slide, okay? Yeah. Now, the next slide is, I'm rather proud of that slide, Carl. It's called the Quantitary Theory of Money. <laughs> right? Now, I had a really good time creating that slide. I'm, I'm an accountant by training, but I'm also a physical chemist and an inorganic chemist and a modeler, so I know a lot of chemistry. And uh, I think this is a cool, this is probably the best slide I ever did in my life. I love this slide. <laughs> and as I was doing it and thinking about it, I realized a few things about Bitcoin I hadn't realized and about gold. If you look at Bitcoin, and if you go to the number of Satoshis, right? Like we're, we're, not, we're like 60, I don't know, 80% done with creating Bit, uh, Bitcoins. There's going to be 21 times 10 to the 14th Satoshis at the end of the day, right? Actually, there's not going to be that many, but it's going to keep approaching it. That number, that is like 21, that's 2,100 trillion Satoshis, okay? Uh, 10 to the minus 8, 110 millionth or 100 millionth or 100 millionth of a bitcoin right now i won't go into it right now but that is enough currency for all the world's transactions that's actually an adequate number of of satoshis and it's probably worth like you know um you know it's you're in the pennies right now so the world population would have to increase dramatically like you know lots to a big number for that not to work so bitcoin actually could if the system uh was uh fast enough which it's not and if you make it real fast it's no longer it hasn't got the same uh privacy it had but you know it could work and it also if you did that it would end up being the new swift system as well oddly enough but you have right. to have enough satoshis naturally for for the world transactions now let's look at gold uh there are a number of in that little yellow thing at the bottom there the atomic numbers you see that yellow squiggle there yeah those are all the rare elements that are not radioactive 
because there's no point in having a rare element, a rare item you can use as money if, if it kills you fairly quickly, right? Yeah. Now, gold, by the way, just for fun, has got 30, 37 isotopes, and 36 of them are radioactive. So there's only one gold, which is gold 197, which actually uh, would work. Now, gold is rare, and the rare elements are the, are the PGMs, the precious group metals, which are platinum, osmium, iridium, palladium, ruthenium, rhodium, and tellurium. And uh, then you've got a couple of more. Uh, those are the only metals which are rare enough to have value as, as a currency. That's sort of interesting. But if you take gold and break it down into grams, right, there's 21 times 10 to the 7 grams of gold above surface in the world right now, which is the same number as Bitcoin, 21. But it's, it's 10 to the minus 7th. It's 110 mil, millionth as many grams of gold as there is Satoshis, or there will be Satoshis, right? Yeah. So interestingly enough, gold probably could not be the world currency uh, easily. That's interesting, eh, Carl? Well, it's fascinating. Yeah, it's. I just I just discovered that today, uh, which was sort of cool. Uh, I also discovered last week that I get along perfectly with my daughter because I agree with everything she says, <laughs> and, and it's perfect. I'm not being sarcastic. I'm, I'm being humorous, but it's actually true. When I was a kid, or when I grew up. Forget being a kid when I was an adult, when I was like 50, I couldn't get along with my parents because they kept telling me what to do. I had a great time with her. She's like 38. We had an awesome time. I'm going back down there again, and I just agreed to everything she said, and she thought it was great. Okay. Now, are, you, are you saying that because like you, you just decided to agree with her, or you actually do agree with her? No, I decided – well, let me think for a second. Um, I, actually to, I actually subscribe to what I state. And I subscribe to the scientific model. I am fully aware of my ignorance. And, you know, I try to be rational. I'm also aware of my bad habits. I'm not exactly intemperate. I'm not exactly a balanced dude. I've got courage and I'm fairly wise, but I'm lacking on some stuff. She's a very wise person. And everything she says actually makes sense. So I, I got to admit that I actually, I, I, you know, I mean, she says you should, you know, she, I bought a whole bunch of new clothes. She said, you got to dress better. You got to lose weight. She put me on a diet. I said, yeah, you're right. So, you know, so she's, she's pretty damn rational. I've already, I've already gone five, six pounds. My wife was shocked when she saw when I came back. First trip I ever went on where I weighed less than when I left. Well, what diet did she put you on? She put me on a really, really healthy diet. Uh, she's, she's got a dietitian. It's like uh, natural foods. It's not calorie counting. And it's like, you know, some peanut butter, bananas, some shakes, chicken. You eat, uh, you know, six meals a day, three small, like this, you know, really healthy, healthful diet. And she said everything else doesn't work. She's a very rational person. She's also incredibly doing well in business. She's in real estate, private equity, doing incredibly well. So she's uh, she's way smarter than I was at that age, I'll tell you, by at least a factor of 100. All right, good. Okay. Now, okay, so so you agree with everything. Now, there is your – absolutely. There is your goal. And, and she also says I'm too theoretical. And she wants me to get into real estate, more real estate. So I've actually – she's got me convinced I'm starting to study it now more carefully. I was, I've always been a stock guy. And I, you know, and, and she's actually got me convinced I'm actually looking at it. So there you go. It's... Okay, good. Because I love real estate. So we can do a segment on that. Yep. Yep. Uh, I'm actually now studying it. She gave me two books. She told me what to get into. She says what kind of units to buy. And she doesn't really like Yorkville. It's too expensive. <laughs> it's too expensive. You know, she's pretty funny. Okay. But she, she works with private equity and she knows about the stuff really well. Okay. Now, so we got Satoshi's. There's enough for currency. We've got gold. Not enough. Trees and digits. Well, I'm showing some memory there. There's an infinite number of digits pretty much you can put on there. So you've got too much, you got too many digits, right? 
You got more digits than you got Satoshis. You got way more digits than you got gold. You can see why paper fiat currencies is theoretically inflationary, right? So there's a good slide. I thought, is that a fun slide? Have you ever seen that slide before? Probably not, right? Unless somebody else invented it too. I don't know. No, I haven't, no. All right. Now I'm going to get to a very, very important slide. Anyone that's a Bitcoin maximalist or actually likes economics uh, is going to love this slide. We've talked about it a bit before, and now I've summarized it. And I love this slide, too. I, I guess I love, I love these slides. I guess that's bad, eh? Okay. Monetary theory. You see that slide? Yep. Now, I'm talking here about inflation, and uh, inflation is less of an issue than it used to be. It's sort of like you know, uh, you, you haven't got much food and you're sort of poor. That's an issue. Well, now you've got some guy pointing a gun at you. That's the real issue, right? And that's what's happened with inflation. It's not the big issue anymore. Okay, so I've got four characters on that slide, right? And I think you, okay, there's Irving Fisher. There's good old Ludwig von Mises. Then there's that great looking, interesting guy, John Maynard Keynes. And then there's the guy I call Shishimi Nakamoto. And you probably recognize the other four, the other three characters. Do you know who those other three characters are? No. Oh, okay. Um, well, I'm sure some of your readers do. Uh, you've got uh, Morpheus on the bottom right, right, from uh, The Matrix. Yeah. And then you've got Zaphod Beetlebrox. Do you know who Zaphod Beetlebrox no. is? Ask no. the audience who knows who Zaphod Beetlebrox is. You're probably going to get some, some yeses, I would imagine. Well, he, he was the president of the galaxy in uh, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Do you know the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Carl? I don't. Oh my goodness! You've got to get that on Netflix, man. That is <laughs> that is the major uh, major movie of the last hundred years. But anyway, the the fact is that. Uh, but you you know the Matrix, right? Yeah. Okay, so uh, you've got Zaphod Beetlebrox who's uh, that good-looking blonde guy. I think he's good-looking uh, with two faces, and, and he's got two heads, right? He's the president. The reason he's got two heads was he had ideas he liked and ideas he didn't like. So ideas, Sorry, he had ideas that were good for a king and ideas that weren't good for a king. So the ideas that weren't good, he put on his other head, and then he's got that this head, which makes then he can, he can go back and forth. It's not the original myth. The Greeks have the same myth. The god with two heads was called Janus, i.e. January. You're looking forward, you're looking behind. Uh, Guy Fox, you recognize the Guy Fox mask, right? Yeah. Well, Guy Fox was the was the um, the the uh, Catholic who used to be a Protestant who tried to assassinate James the First because he didn't like what Henry the Eighth reinvented in the House of uh, the Tudors, and that's often used in conjunction with uh, with Bitcoin. Now, do you recognize the, the statue in the top right there? If if you do a Google image in that statue, you're going to find out that is the statue of Shishimi or Satoshi Nakamoto in Hungary. That's the best they can do for it. Uh, okay, now now we're going to talk about inflation very quickly, but it's interesting. And the reason it's interesting is for two reasons. One, it's sort of interesting, but the second reason is it shows, Carl, what I'm going to show right now is how theories keep changing. And that applies to gold, Bitcoin, and what's coming next. Theories keep changing, and everybody believes what they believe, and they think it's absolutely true, and then they're proven to be false. Has that ever happened to you, Carl, that you were absolutely positive about something, you found out it wasn't true? Yep. Yeah, me too. Irving Fisher. Irving Fisher was one of the biggest dudes, economists in America, 
before the 1940s. He was huge in 1910s, 1920s. He was the economist per se at Yale. Now, there's, there's an equation called PT equals MV. Price times the number of transactions, the economy size, equals money times velocity of money. You've heard of velocity of money and money. Yes. And, and, and he said that, okay, you do have a price level. You have a quantity, T. They called it in those days T for transactions. And if you take that multiple, which is we call GDP, gross domestic product, nominally, right? That equals the velocity of, of uh, money times the money supply. And he said, guess what? The economy is always at equilibrium. The economy is always going to work. Inflation doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And he was positive about that. When he was an equilibrium economist, he believed in equilibrium. I, I, I mentioned in some previous uh, uh, discussions that equilibrium economics doesn't work. And that's why technical analysis works. The fundamental analysis is worthless. Long discussion, right? Okay. Well, I'll tell you what Irving Fisher, and he was a physicist, and he used thermodynamics, and he was taught by a very famous guy who invented thermodynamics and equilibrium economics. It's all very interesting. It all ties in. It all makes sense. and It's, it's all hidden, right? If you want to know, you know, why you look the way you look, if you don't know about DNA, you're never going to know, right? <laughs> and he said in the early part of 1929, the stock market has reached a permanently high plateau. Well, we all know what happened much a little bit after he said that, right? Yeah. So he said inflation doesn't matter. Now you get Ludwig von Mises. He's the famous uh, crypto dude, right? I mean, ad adopted. Famous book. I have all of his books. I've studied them all. He said M is exogenous, the money supply. M is a terrible thing. Money control is terrible. At the price level, the size of the economy and the velocity is determined by M. And if you try to control it, you will destroy societies. And that's why Bitcoiners and gold guys like, uh, what's his name, Chef, like Von Mises and the Von Mises Institute. Playing with money creates havoc. So here's two top-notch economists agree disagreeing with each other. Then you have John Maynard Keynes. PT equals MV. It's the same equation. One equals one plus one, or two equals one plus one, right? But what's the one? What's the one? Is it one atom bomb plus one nitrogen bomb? Or is it, you know, one apple and, and one pear? He said, when you have a depression or when you have disequilibrium, money has uh, information knowledge and people who sell stuff never want to take their price down, even if money is worth more, because they're not sure why their price should be taken down, because they don't know if inflation will last or doesn't last or if deflation will last or doesn't last. And laborers, people who work, don't take pay cuts. I think you can agree that even if the value of money went down, it'd be pretty hard to pay your employees less money, right? Yeah. Right. So so his theory was PT does equal MV, but it can work, right? And then you got Satoshi Nakamoto, who actually said nothing about it, zero. If you look at his white paper, he mentions the word once in a in a quantity kind of thing. He didn't get into inflation. It was only the adopters of Bitcoin who wanted to impute a value to it that got into it. The the cyberpunks, the, the anarchists, i.e. people against government, the libertarians. But... Nakamoto had nothing to do with, with inflation. It was just about currency, a fixed amount of currency. You do transactions, all it was. He was going back historically to the numeraire. It's just a price. But as Bitcoin got going, it very quickly adopted the fetish. It adopted the, the, um, the uh, reification of money and wealth, right? And then narratives established that it's valuable. You got to own it. It's going up. 
it was financialized culturally. Look at NFTs. That's just a form of Bitcoin. And the other complicated thing was Bitcoin was too complicated to be adopted by the population as a fully decentralized and distributed system. If you can't download a full node, and by the way, even in the Satoshi White Paper, he, he recommended or she recommended or they recommended that if you're an active business, you're getting lots of payments in Bitcoin, you should run your own fully full node. Or you didn't say full node, your own note. Doesn't have to be a full note so you can actually see what blocks are being accepted. Then you had Ross Albright, you know, who, who got into it. So it became it not only did it become anarchistic, but with Ross Albright and crime, it became um a, a criminal, which is completely beyond anarchy, because anarchy is supposed to be positive for mankind and simply not without government. So when uh, what I would say is this when you you know who Michael Saylor is? Yes, I do. Yeah. So Mike Saylor, Frank Schuster, Peter Schiff, Buffett, Munger, J- Jamie Dimon, Bloomberg, Fink, when they talk about the stuff, they don't get into it, what it really all, is all about. But but that's what it was about. So in terms of inflation, there's your theory. So what you can see is, is he went from Fisher to Von Mises to Keynes. You know who Stephanie Kelton was? Not she familiar was, at all. She was modern monetary theory. Money doesn't matter. What a genius. What a genius. Almost the smartest some of the U.S. politicians, perhaps as smart as Justin Trudeau. She was the lady economist who said money doesn't matter. You can print tons of money. You never get inflation. And she was very popular and written up in the Financial Times for quite a while. Guess what? That theory has gone. We've gone from transitory inflation, right, to inflation you got to fix up to, as you probably noticed in the last five or six days. Well, maybe we'll just have to live with 5% inflation. You've noticed the new narrative showing up, right? Yep. Absolutely. Right. That's Are far above your, your 3% new narrative. Remember that? They'll move the 2 to 3, but now it's 5. <laughs> That's right. We were, we were, I thought I said 4, but you're right. I got pushed down to 3. So I see where it's going. But I did say they need inflation to get rid of the debt, right? Although, Frank, yeah, yes. if you notice, it's even worse than that. This week, Janet Yellen said, we don't need higher interest rates. We just got to force the banks to cut back the loans, right? Did you Did you yeah. see when she said that? Yeah, I saw that. What that means is, if you go back to my chart, a couple of slides back, the treasuries is twenty-four trillion, the bank reserves is three trillion, bank deposits are seventeen trillion. Yeah, yeah, cut back the loans. You're going to cut back seventeen trillion to fifteen trillion to fourteen trillion. You will kill the economy. You will kill it. Um, That's pretty interesting. Okay, so so she's given up on interest rates, right? They realize it doesn't work. She's probably been under attack by Bernie and by Lizzie. And now they're going after credit. Well, we all knew that money is credit. And and there you go. And, and you know, they're going to they're working on it because they got to save the U.S. dollar and they don't much care about what happens to people. OK, next slide. The next slide is my uh, Bitcoin slide. OK, now, um, frankly, I'm not going to say much about that slide except for the following. I've studied it awfully carefully. I've done some transactions myself. And uh, I would say this, uh, in terms of the issues with Bitcoin, um, I list 22 issues, a number of which are technical issues. Now, Bitcoin has got the, in theory, might have the Byzantine, the general, the Byzantine general's problem, which is that if you're going to use cons- separated consensus of people that aren't talking to each other simultaneously, you need two thirds on his notes. Fine. There's the Fisher-Lynch-Patterson problem. You need 100% honest nodes in some cases. 
Now, Bitcoin recognized that, and the people who use it recognize that. So they said, okay, we're going to have social engineering. We're going to make it in the interest of so-called people, sorry, of people to be honest nodes. So if they're dishonest, they're going to hurt their value. Well, that's a nice that's a nice thing to state, but you know I would recommend uh, you look at uh, some uh, recently or a, a paper called "Majority is Not Enough: Bitcoin Mining is Vulnerable" by Ite Eyal and Iman Gun Sirer, Department of Computer Science, Cornell University. What they demonstrate very clearly is that Bitcoin is not incentive compatible. Anyone that knows Bitcoin reasonably well knows that that is essential for Bitcoin to be working in theory. But get the paper. There's no point in me going through it now because it's highly mathematical. And we could do a separate session for the mathematicians, but they can read the paper and figure it out for themselves. It is not incentive compatible. And they demonstrate why. One group slowly builds up blocks, keep the blocks private, gets a lot of private blocks over time, spends the money, then takes it public. And that group of people get an undue number of Bitcoins, an unfair number of Bitcoins versus the other Bitcoiners. That block eventually takes over. You've got a soft fork, which happens automatically, and you've got a control group. And that's, that. the current software would allow that. And it's a pretty much mathematical model. You can take a peek at it. But, you know, we can discuss that and we can talk to these guys and see if that's true or not true. But but there is an issue there. Yeah. Okay. So there's 22 comments about issues on bitcoin there and i've got a i've got some uh where is that thing i've actually got uh uh i've added some jokes in there as well if anyone's a mathematician will see number 27 you see number 27 there that's about 42 meaning of life i'll leave it but but that's sort of humorous and that does relate to uh, uh mathematical puzzles and all this other stuff we've been talking about okay uh, and what the slide does, it sort of just talk about what I've been talking about, which is that uh, Bitcoin starts off privacy, encryption, uh, doesn't work, too hard, banks don't accept it, people don't want to do that, becomes a currency, it works and becomes uh, uh, something very much like gold in terms of valuation control. And now we've got, we're fighting the governments. Um, now, uh, and whether or not uh, price of uh, uh POS is going to be adequate, proof of stake versus proof of proof of work. That's not been really demonstrated. It's not even been demonstrated mathematically that proof of work actually works, except within a social theory, game theory, uh, the beautiful mind guy, right? But suffice it to say that you could actually you could actually have Bitcoin doing infinite production of Satoshis, and it actually could work, but uh, and that that can be introduced. So, you know, there's nothing it, it can work as long as everybody likes it and continues to like it. Just like gold could work as long as people like it and continue to like it. And just like fiat currency will work if people continue to like it. Once people don't like it anymore, that's a different story. So there's that slide. Uh, so we're, we're going to bypass the technical stuff because, frankly, it's all published. It's all there. Uh, it's much better than what's in Cointelegraph or, or Bitcoin.org. Get into the real theory. And you can see the mathematics and see the issues. And, you know, it's all public information. So you can determine it. I'm just pointing out that a lot of the there's no I, I don't go for platitudes. I don't go for false ideologies or for propaganda. You know, like like Plato talks about myths and noble myths, ignoble myths. If you're going to go with a myth and everything is a myth, once you're once you're into words, ideas, concepts, these things are always changing. They're all myths, hopefully useful myths. 
but let's not let's not go with a myth that we know is obviously false. Let's go with a myth that at least is a metaphor, an analogy with something that could be true. And that's why I think these math papers and all keeping up on the on the pure computer science of it all is very, very important. Now we're going to talk about the counter revolutions. OK, we're on the slide with that good looking guy, Gensler, who heads up the SEC. OK, all right. You see that slide, Carl? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, not long. We're just about, uh, it's an hour and a half. I can, I can barely, well, it's been an hour. I could barely believe it. But okay. SEC poised to increase its scrutiny of decentralized financing exchanges. We know the SEC wants to control it. But the SEC, not only do they want to control it, they're not, the government wants to control it now. Next. This week in the in the New York Times, a response to the New York Times Bitcoin mining hit piece, right? What's the hit piece? Oh, Bitcoin uses too much energy. It's bad. It's not ESG. Why is the New York Times getting in that all of a sudden, I wonder, right? Um, then there's cyberpunk dogma. There's some pieces from Coindesk about that theory. You see, the cyberpunks were anarchists. And the government, the guys from Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Yale, uh, that are the real government, not, not you know, not the dementia guy, uh, that government... Uh, knows about anarchism and they know that that that's what Bitcoin is about. So um, that's really got them concerned and that's why they're going after it. Next slide. Okay. Now, this is April 13th, 2023. The IMF has just unveiled a new global currency known as the Universal Monetary Unit. That just came out, right, Carl? Unicoin. That's the new world currency that the IMF wants. Now you've got Hillary Clinton. Cryptocurrencies can destabilize nations. Hillary Clinton vows. This was just last week. Okay. And here's what she said. I'm going to quote it. It was in Bloomberg, April 15, 2023. One more area that I hope nation states start paying greater attention to is the rise of cryptocurrency. Because what looks like a very interesting and somewhat exotic effort to literally mine new coins in order to trade with them, as the potential for undermining currencies, for undermining the role of the dollar as the reserve currency for destabilizing nations, and the Americans hate to, to nations destabilize, perhaps starting with small ones, but going much larger, the former Secretary of State said. That's pretty current, right, Carl? April 15th. Very now, let's see what Lagarde said a couple, uh, on May 22nd, 2022. This is really interesting. She says, the European Central Bank Christine Lagarde thinks cryptocurrencies aren't worth a dime. Maybe a Satoshi, but they aren't worth a dime. And she says, quote, my very humble assessment is that it is worth nothing. Lagarde said a crypto in an interview with Dutch talk show College Tour that aired Sunday. It is based on nothing. She asked, there is no underlying asset to act as an anchor of safety. Lagarde called on global policymakers to put rules in place to protect the poor, inexperienced, ignorant investors making big bets on digital assets. Cryptocurrencies have plunged across the board, blah, blah, blah. She says, I'm concerned about those people, I'm really glad she is, who think it's going to be a reward, who have no understanding of the risks, who will lose it all, who will be terribly disappointed. So she says it's nothing, right? Now, just for fun, I added a little comic uh, by Gay and Wilson, which I saw when I was a kid. I thought was pretty funny. You see that comic on the right-hand side of that slide? Yeah. Right. There's all these people praying this box, and this box is called nothing. And these, I'd say, is nothing sacred. <laughs> I thought that was funny. 
So Christine Lagarde is saying Bitcoin is nothing. That's that's interesting. Um, and uh, I'll go on to the next slide. Right now, the next slide is the is the counter revolution, and it's the it's the politicization of of um, money, which I've alluded to. And now I'm going to talk about how embedded this this is in our world currently, and how far back this actually goes. Okay. Now, first of all, in terms of the governments, etc., I'll say one thing for Elon Musk. You know, he said the BBC interview was exceptional, illustrating why you cannot rely on the media for truth. You're aware of that interview, right, Carl? Yep. I think yeah, we've all seen it about a dozen times now. Did you see the one where the guy's nose keeps expanding and then he's got to put the, 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 the explosion protection on before the guy blows up? Did you see that one? Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. Okay. So um, – so what's going on? Well, in terms of de-dollarization risk, I have a quote here from Sergey Glasev, who's a, who's a Russian economist. They are building with the EAEU, which is the, all the former Soviet Union states, and China. They're bypassing the dollar. They've worked out a lot. They've been looking at it for years. And they're actually in the process of doing it very quickly. So you've got the International Monetary Fund with Unicoin. I like that Unicoin. It sounds great. 1984 or the prisoner. You've got the Russians with their system where they've done mathematical analyses and he's seeing uh, of, of, of uh, volatility, of combining different currencies with commodities. The new economic system it proposes unites various strata of their societies around the globe of increasing common well-being in a way that is substantially stronger than the Anglo-Saxon and European alternatives. So they're being nice guys, just like everybody else in government. They're, you know, they're going to get rid of the the other governments who are the bad guys, and they're going to be the nice guys. Now, in terms of finance, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there's a Thucydides trap, which a lot of people have heard of. And there's a book written, you know, by uh, Graham Allison quite a while ago called Destined for War. It was about, you know, societies and money and stuff like that. And he reminds us that over the last 500 years, there have been 16 times in which there's been an empire challenge one way or another, and in 12 of those cases, there have been wars, and those old empires died. Ray Dalio, that was the Dutch, that was the English, um, that was uh, the Catholics before Henry VIII. It goes on, and that was the French with the American Revolution. It happens all the time. We're in the middle of this kind of restructuring going on. Above, if you see it called, called Unrestricted Warfare, China's master plan to destroy America. That is That is not... Uh, American propaganda. That is a book written by two Chinese colonels laying out Chinese strategy not to be dominated by the U.S. and to be, remain independent. Written in the mid-90s by two colonels. You can see it on Amazon. And what they say is you don't only need to fight a military war. You, may, don't even need, you don't, perhaps don't even want a military war. You want a financial war and a cultural war. Therefore, TikTok. And therefore, they own all these T-bills. Therefore, they want their own currency. Drive the U.S. currency to zero. And and because dollars are bullets now, these things are happening. So I think when we call this is the end of it. I think when we call the talk uh, gold Bitcoin, the end of money as we knew it, gold Bitcoin, um, and control the world. I think it was a serious title, and uh, there we are. So that's that's the review. So again, the purpose of the review was one to set a meta strategy. What's the word? Uh, trigger. I don't want to trigger anybody with all the stuff. I guess I'm triggering a friendly kind of way, but I want to stick to what is the meta theory? And the meta theory is myths. All these things are myths. We live in societies. 
And and history repeats itself. It's all being repeated. And there's no perfect systems. Gold's not perfect. Bitcoin's not perfect. Even the models of fully decentralized isn't true. The model of fully democratic is not true. You've got developers who can do what they want with it. You've got guys who can dominate half of it. You've got people who can basically make it illegal. Uh, fertile fallacies to call uh, what, what Soros calls it, which is an interesting dude. And uh, and then, you know, uh, these are the broad issues. And, and perhaps as we talk about it, we can talk about it uh, from that meta perspective of the meaning of life etc 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 there we go i just sent you a screenshot there sid if you can read those out there's there's two questions there and i'd like everyone to know now if you want to come up as a speaker if you want to join the discussion or you have something uh, you want to ask sid please put your hand up and um, we'll go from there but yeah sid there's uh, there's two for you there okay one question daniel carter what happens if the global economy experiences a significant downturn or recession well, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies are in widespread use. How resilient are these assets to economic shocks? Well, first of all, I'm not God, so I can't predict the future. But I'll say this. Experience teaches us that when there's a depression, all assets go down. All of them. And it's easy to know why. Because people who own Bitcoin own other assets or have debts, and all of a sudden they're broke. And they have to sell the Bitcoin to be able to compensate. Just like if you own, you know, a bunch of TD Bank and a bunch of uh, Bank of America and a bunch of Tesla and other stuff. If you just lost your job and you need money, you're going to sell it. They're all going to go down, supply and demand. Uh, How resilient are these assets to economic shocks? There's only one thing that's resilient to economic shocks. And that is uh, your brain, your ability to stay positive. And your relationships with your family, hopefully you have one, and friends, and to create new value and new environments. That's the only thing that is fully resilient to economic shocks, I would suggest. Now, it's good to diversify. It's good not to have a lot of debt, especially times like this, because you see Janet Yellen. She's going to start forcing the banks to cut back uh, the loans and call them in, because that's, that's how she thinks she can stop inflation. And then, of course, that's going to cause a lot more problems. I've been walking around downtown Toronto today. There's a lot of homeless people at Bloor and Bedford and Yorkville, which is not a poor neighborhood, by the way. It's the extreme opposite. And it's accelerating. Uh, So, you know, um, yeah, all assets are going to go down, which is why it's a good thing not to have a lot of debt. They all go down. The reason the Kennedys and some really wealthy people survived the Depression was because they had so many assets and they had no debts whatsoever and lots of real estate and other stuff. They could and they could pay for the food they had to eat, and they could survive it until everything came back. So that's my answer to that. All right, there's another uh, one here. I'll send you. What are the environmental implications of energy consumption required for Bitcoin mining? Is there a way to make the process more sustainable? Um, so someone actually. Someone tweeted a response. Sure. Which I I just sent you. You Sure. If you believe, okay, it says 0.14% of global emissions. Okay. I, okay. Uh, not, okay. Bitcoin, look, in my opinion, number one, Bitcoin absolutely has to use mining because just like if, if you, if you can't produce enough gold to support an economy, if there's, if the amount of gold is fixed, it gets hoarded and the ability for gold to, uh, but uses a currency false. If you're not, if you can't produce ongoing currency in conjunction with 
economic supply, uh, hardcore economic supply is not a sustainable currency. And deflation is a really, really bad thing. Deflation is a bad thing. When you have deflation, you have a complete end of society. Bad deflation is caused by massive unemployment. So let's let's so you know that situation will be worse problems. But look, there's there's no way to have something of value that's not rare. And what's got to be rare about Bitcoin is the ability to keep it rare. And what keeps it rare is the ability to um, have people believe that it's truth justified. And and how do you truth justify something by a bunch of people you don't trust? They have to pay. They have to do something, carry out the economic activity to keep a value. So you have to use energy. Now, I don't have the numbers on what percentage of the world's energy is used for Bitcoin. But frankly, it's less than like what Finland or Norway uses, I read. It's a small amount. We could work it out. But of course, if Bitcoin goes higher and higher and higher in price, the amount of energy is going to go higher and higher. But at some point, Bitcoin is not going to go to a trillion dollars or a billion dollars because I've shown with all these Satoshis, as you naturally divide up the Bitcoin and Satoshis, they're going to have to change the software, by the way, to always have Satoshis being uh, being uh, pro- uh, produced. And in fact, the system may even do it. It wouldn't take much to change it. Uh, it's just, It'll take a certain amount of energy, but it's not much. A lot less energy than uh, the military. A lot less energy than uh, food production and everything else. So I don't think it's it's a problem per se, given the fact that really transactional money is not really that big a deal over the entire world economy. But we'd have to work it out more carefully. That's just my hypothesis. We'd have to work it out. Someone says here, use less than one-tenth of one percent of the world's energy. All right, that's probably true. That's that goes to one percent. So if Bitcoin, if all the other, if Bitcoin doesn't get outlawed by the governments, which I think it will. And so will gold, by the way. If, if gold goes too high, if they keep gold low, it's okay. If they keep gold too high, if gold goes up to 10,000, 15,000, they'll outlaw gold too. They've done it before. They'll do it again. Uh, but except for those problems, if, if, if an anarchistic system, i.e. a system without government, a libertarian Bitcoin system could survive without the government stopping it, uh, you wouldn't need that much energy. Would not need that much energy. You there, Carl? I am here. Yeah. yeah, Al, I did. I added you as a speaker. If you want to uh, go ahead, if you have a question. Oh yeah, um, I just wanted to kind of bring up the point and the topic of central bank digital currencies, as well as you know what you're speaking about, Unicoin. Uh, we will see a synthetic hegemonic currency, where they're essentially yep. basketing these CBDCs uh, to kind of improve stability across regions or nation states that agree with each other. Uh, on certain policies. It'll help with like KYC and AML. And there's a widespread financial terroristic uh, kind of coordinated effort against the United States and many other first world countries um, from some uh, larger state actors that, you know, are, are nation sponsored, things of that nature. So um, yep. are you aware of like the ISO 222 encryption um, and, and what like quant network and things like that are, are doing to connect these DLTs and then integrate them with fiat to crypto payment processors so that we can integrate, you know, on a global scale and have trusted networks that are resistant to, you know, quantum computing efforts of hacking and things like that. I'd like you to show me a computer science theorem that demonstrates any of this stuff is infallible and you won't be able to find it. 
Well, they, it is fallible, right? Uh, it's just about how many uh, how many qubits that uh, people have access to in terms of compute power for these. Well, what, what it's so, really fallible to is the proof that the logic is impeccable. And uh, if you can have a proof that the logic is impeccable, and if you can compute the number of attempts, the amount of energy, or the number of computations which are required to defeat it, if it's not impeccable, now you've got a proof and you've got a measurement. But there isn't any. Well, the ISO the ISO standard actually does have a measurement. Um, they they have that all written up. Um, it's the new encryption standard that's it's going to be replacing like ACH and things like that, most likely. Okay, um, but show show me a theorem that uh, takes uh, mining or that takes uh, uh, hashes or Merkle trees or any any theory, any model. Give me the computer science theorem that demonstrates that the software program is not hackable. If you can find that, I'd like to see it. Oh, it's absolutely hackable, right? It's just about it's it's about being resistant to that type of hacking based okay. on the amount of right. processing well, power needed. And and currently sure. there's not that amount of processing power required. Um and, and currently if somebody had that, uh, you know, it's not unfeasible to say that they could break, you know, SHA two fifty six or KEKX. So um it, it, which is what Bitcoin and Ethereum run on. Well, so you know it's uh, imperative uh, to have these ISOs, you know, kind of implemented quickly, correct? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> what you want is a lot of eyes on it, and uh, uh, none of this, there by definition, is decentralized. It's watched, and uh, at the end of the day, um, you know, uh, um, yeah, I mean, you know, look, look, uh, you fight quantum with quantum, and and it just gets bigger and bigger, and you hopefully you have no software errors. Which, uh, you know, you can't prove that. Very few programs can be proven to be robust. Uh, you know, that's, we know that mathematically theorem, if, if up in other places. But yeah, I mean, the U.S. military, the U.S. government is uh, working on that. And they're also, of course, working, and you're talking about randomization as well, right? Quantum randomized selections of seeds, right? Correct. With like proto dank sharding and things, it would require, you know, larger compute. We wouldn't be able to get down to, you know, the the hardly gas efficient proof of authority protocols that we're seeing now. But but it it would ensure that, you know, when it was proto dank sharded and randomized, you would be able to to get that encryption standard up to par to what we would need. Yeah. Yeah. That that have to keep working on it. I'm aware of it. Yep. All right. So do you think that that is a good idea? You know, I, I was interested in your opinion on on the synthetic hegemonic currency and that basketed uh, CBDC market. Uh, OK, good idea how... from what from from what perspective, from what from who's like with what objective? Uh, a sustainability, safety and, and global wealth um, for not just the people, but the nations as well. Right. A nice balanced effort. Uh, from an objection, objectional third-party point of view, not not somebody with bias. Okay, or... and and you mean that from a uh, you know what the Gini coefficient is, right? No, sir. Okay, okay. Uh, so there's two concepts. Then well, there's a bunch of concepts. I always say there's two, but there's like you know infinite number of concepts, right? Um, so here here's my thought. Um, so you have you have government digital currencies. Then you've got clearing houses. You know. Whether, whether it's computer ledgers, mathematical programs, whatever, that's fine. Um, uh, so in terms of the government, and the government basically means whoever happens to actually be controlling what's going on. And I have no idea who the government really is anymore. I don't know who the government really is. But in terms of whoever it is, whoever the, the group or the cabal is, whether it's Canada, Australia, 
the five eyes, the ten eyes, whatever they call themselves, the Chinese, uh, whoever it is, uh, they want to maintain their power structure in each of their individual places. And they need to have uh, security to maintain the assets. And that most assets are, are uh, value-added assets are digital, or at least it's controlled now digitally. Even physical assets can be controlled digitally. And that'll be occurring more and more. Food, safety, viruses, uh, air quality, it's all going to be digitally controlled. You can basically uh, put uh, a, you know, a few bits on almost big molecules. So, you know, the interaction between digital control and analog existence is, as you know, inextricably linked pretty soon, right? If it's not already done so, right? So you need security. So when you're driving along, someone doesn't just blow your car up or, or, or you know, makes, take a right turn into a wall or something or driving into a truck. So all that stuff is absolutely essential um, in, in some way. So, yeah, that works to, to save uh, specific people and control the government. And that if you like your government, you like your society, and if you want to depend on them to protect you, it works. So from that perspective, yes. Uh, my concern is the perspective of um, loss of any freedom whatsoever, total control of all of your activities, your ability to enter a building, enter a store, be able to buy clothes, be able to talk to anybody. If you talk to somebody and cell phone says, do not talk to this person, boom. Uh, you can't get in any buildings. You can't get in, use a bathroom. You, you can't get in your car. That gets shut down. That's my concern. Understood. So it's just the old, with great power comes great responsibility. And with power uh, comes corruption, uh, so to speak. Yep. That's the problem. That's what history tells us. Understood. Well, thank you very much. Uh, that was a fruitful conversation for me, and uh, I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Th thanks, for Thank you. Thank you very much. That discussion was a little bit out of my league, to be honest, but um, thanks very much for stepping up, Al, and always great to have the Bitcoin community here um, because, you know what, they, they understand what's kind of going on here past Bitcoin. Um, anyone else here want to step up and, and have a discussion here with, with Sid? I've got a few questions that were put in the comment section, so I'll fire those off. Okay. There's a few there. I just sent out to you. Okay. Uh, how can we ensure that the algorithms and protocols governing Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies are not vulnerable to hacking or manipulation by bad actors? Is there a way to create truly unbreakable encryption? Um, I don't think you can find a computer scientist anywhere that can say there is a way to create unbreakable encryption. It's always uh, technology A gets invented uh, by person A. Person B adopts technology A and improves on it. And now he's in control. And then person C comes in and he's in control. Uh, there's no way to, there's no perfect system. There ever has been, ever will be. Mathematics is not perfect. Um, mathematics uses the hiding principle, it's called, the hiding principle. And they use uh, unsolvable problems uh, or, or solvable problems. But all problems that are solvable are solvable. So one person simply has to get a better computer ability or a better um, software understanding or mathematical understanding than the creator. And given the way DNA works and given the way people reproduce and have kids, genius just show up like Elon Musk or other people, and they come up with uh, new technology. So 
unless you find God, unless God creates it and says nobody can understand this, it, it's it's impossible, which is why we have armies and why we have uh, security and, and why people are, you know, sort of watching stuff. At the end of the day, I find that human situational awareness is very important. And to some extent, when you start to depend fully on digitization as opposed to human situational awareness, you know, the sec, the third eye, your hearing, your sensitivity, it's the, you know, when there's a tsunami, you know, some animals can tell it's coming, some can't, you know, we've lost our situational awareness or our temperature awareness, you know, uh, that, that's the problem. So it's good to always have more people developing. Elon Musk says there's not enough people out there. What he's, what Elon Musk is really saying is there's not enough of a new gene pool. That's really what he's saying. And the reason we need port, more people apart from consumer demand in the military is because the more people you have, the more quickly you're going to get the occasional genius who makes the world presumably a better place. So it's basic computer science knowledge. There's no perfect algorithm. There's no perfect protocol. We've gone from counting with fingers to to uh, those thingies that they use in the Orient. I forget, I forget what they're called, to uh, computers, to quantum computing and multiple universes. Well, next you're going to get multiple, multiple universes. Then you're going to use DNA. And, uh, you know, who knows where it goes? There's tons of mathematical theorems which can't be proven. There's some which can be proven, and there's some you can't prove. You can't prove. So, you know, it's all mathematics, and there's no end to mathematics. So there's there's never life is never totally secure, and that's where uh, faith and trust comes in, and that's where people are really really important. And I'm talking I'm talking from mathematics there. Show me a mathematical model. Show me probably getting 51 percent over 10,000 those to agree in such a fork. Yeah, uh, I'll point you to the. Uh, uh, please take a look at the paper. Majority is not enough. Bitcoin mining is vulnerable. Okay, Cornell University. I just sent you another question there, Sid. From Mike, Dr. Com? Yep. Okay. Show me a mathematical modeling show probably is getting plus 51% of over 10,000 nodes to agree on parameters in such a fork scenario. Um, the model is worked out in this paper by E.L. and Sire. E-Y-A-L and Sire, S-I-R-E-R. I think that's the one to uh, to work with. So people understand the uh, the nest the 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 slides from earlier are in the nest now. Thanks for uh, putting those in there. PMs are us. Anyone else want to come up and uh, and join the discussion? Put your hand up. I'll bring you on up. Talk yeah, I mean, what I, what I say to to Mike is, look, I mean, I have to start getting into the uh, the mathematics um, of it all. You know, of the selfish mining strategy and the. Uh, and, you know, the programming and, you know, the concept of, uh, you know, pool production and, uh, you know, all the mathematics of that, plus the gamblers uh, failing and, you know, how much. So it's it's it's, it's quite complicated. Uh, but let's start with the that paper and then we can sort of work through that paper. Physics is different. Lily, you're, you're live now. Did you want to talk with Sid? Oh yeah, I like I like talking about physics actually, but I don't, I don't know if we're equipped here. Okay. You there, Sid? Yeah. Okay. Don't know what was happening there with Lily. Um, 
Please put your hand up if you'd like to come up as a speaker. Let's give people a minute here. I can see there's lots of people from the uh, Bitcoin community. That's fine. What happened okay. to the fiat community? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you got to get that fiat community going. <laughs> they all, hold on here. I'm going to add a couple people. I guess they're I guess they're in government. <laughs> DJ, thanks for thanks for coming in. Happy Sunday evening. Glad to see you guys doing another one of these spaces. I just joined, so I don't know what I missed, but I figured uh after Lily it can't be much worse than that, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened there. She she requested to come back up, but uh Lily, just DM me your question. Let's see what you want to talk about. Um, okay, driving. I'm going to let driving come up here as well. There you go. I noticed you have a Bitcoin, gold, silver, part three. So what did I miss? Is, was there a part one and part two? Can we get a quick recap if you don't mind? And then um, maybe there's uh, – because I kind of completely just came in onto your show. Yeah, I apologize, so but I would love to catch okay. up. So, DJ, you – I think you were there for part two, which was the last one. Um Sid, do you want to just kind of like there? If you go in the nest, there you'll see there's ten uh, slides. So he he covered those. But yeah, looking at those Sid, now. do you want to just give him a couple of Cole's notes? You mean from uh, just for what we just talked about today? Yeah, yeah. So where are we? Because I came in and you were talking about like uh, mining pools and something about having to delve into the like mathematics of it. And right. I don't know if it's that complicated. I'm just curious, like where are we at? I think where we're at is. Uh, I've got a uh, talking about Bitcoin. You're talking about first of all money, and you're talking about economics transactions, and you're talking about society. So what I tried to do was go through it in that order of what is a society, what is what is what is a myth that makes a good society, what role does money play, how has money changed over the last six thousand years, and it has, and what is it right now. And the conclusion was that right now, as evidenced by the massive amount of talk on CNN and Fox and everything on the U.S. dollar weakening, and I noticed the, that my U.S. dollar portfolio was down like 5% just in currency alone. And given the fact that other countries are going on their own currencies, that there's a major uh, currency problem occurring, and that's what governments care about. We've also seen a major inflation problem, and that's what that's a major issue. And it all ties into the military uh, problems which are going on right now. The sanctions have demonstrated that. Countries don't like being sanctioned anymore. And uh, we looked at gold and Bitcoin. My perspective is that um, they're very similar um, and they're both equally likely, if they continue to be very successful, to be attacked by the governments and I said that six or seven years ago, but right now we're seeing governments absolutely going after cryptocurrencies, inventing their own. They're going to push them out. And uh, that's what the, that's what the governments did with, with paper currency 150 years ago. All paper currency was issued by banks, and then the government pushed them out and became the bank. So it's, it's, it's just getting replicated. I'm just going to issue a formal apology here because I got a couple messages there. Uh, the, the crypto community is here. I keep saying Bitcoin community. So let me apologize. I don't want to trigger anyone. Um, pardon me. Driving, you got your hand up. Go ahead. Join the conversation. 
Hi, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, Sydney, uh, great insights there. I had a quick question. I wanted to pick your brain on the proof of useful work, possibly, as a quantum proof or um, some layers. You were kind of getting into it before. Just, just curious your thoughts. You're talking about something specific. You're talking proof of useful work as opposed to proof of work, right? Well, you said also proof of authority and other ones that you kind of liked. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, right. I mean, POS, uh, proof of uh, what? Gee, what proof, what of stake. Stake. proof of stake. Proof of stake. Um, I think at the present time, that is very nebulous. Uh, that is purely a social theory saying that if you have a lot of stake, you can vote on what the block should be and what's a good transaction, not a good transaction. Um, it's, it's, um, it, it's not yet been, it's a social theory. It, it's a value theory. So it's based on people rationally acting in their interest. Uh, their interest can be legal or illegal. Their interest can be uh, moral or not moral. It's a monetary concept. Uh, it might work. Uh, so far we're seeing that proof of mining works or proof of work works and gold has a value because frankly uh, you have to work to get gold out of the ground. So it's, it's identical. So, uh, you know, it's a social theory. So social theories are generally proven over time, time meaning hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's yet to be proven. It's, it's a nice theory, but the world's gone through on hypotheses for thousands of years and, and no one hypothesis has ever held on for, for forever. For, you know, just let's look at something as basic as physics before you even get into social theories. You know, first there was uh, gravity, which was a force. And then there was gravity that's not a force. Yeah, which is proof of stake. So proof of stake is is just a, a social theory, I would say. And I would it's agree with you there. Whereas theory. proof of work, yeah, exactly. Which is like fiat. Fiat currency is proof of stake. It you is. know, all these other cryptocurrencies that use the fiat, the, the proof of stake method, they're simply creating a new fiat system and calling it like a cryptocurrency because they're using the blockchain technology. Um, so there's nothing different with all these other cryptocurrencies that are on proof of stake system. Bitcoin is the only one that is unique and created something called digital scarcity. So with its invention, that's the biggest difference. So once you create, once you discover digital scarcity, you cannot rediscover it again. So that's why like there is a big difference between Bitcoin and crypto. So whoever DM do you follow? Uh, I remind me your name again. I, I apologize. Uh, follow. So, yeah, my, my name's Carl, but it's follow the money. Carl. Yeah. Okay, cool, Carl. Yeah. So, Carl, like you mentioned, someone mentioned to you that, oh, it's the crypto community, not the Bitcoin community. Well, it's interesting because there is a big divide and it's unfortunate there's a divide, right? It's kind of like tribalism in a sense, but it's because the Bitcoiners want to make sure that people understand that Bitcoin has nothing to do with crypto because crypto is a bunch of scams. Crypto is simply people who are inventing their own fiat system on a cryptocurrency and calling it something new and innovative when it's actually not really like it's literally just trying to pull more capital into it so that it can benefit the holders. So they're but just trying to be... be wiped out essentially is what you're saying. So it's, it's basically, yeah, I mean, you because can bring it's... capital in, but it doesn't actually help 
Let's just call exactly. it the community. They. It doesn't help yeah. that community long term. Just, just they're... one question for you. What happens when, uh, when you've got almost, uh, assuming we're not going to worry about the burned coins, when you're almost at 21 million coins, mm-hmm. when, you're, when you, in theory, hypothetically, I don't think you have to, but when you hypothetically move towards a non-mining environment, what in your mind right. happens at that point? Well, you're, right. That's a good question. So you're always going to need miners. Because you're always going to need to have new transactions come in. So the miners will always have a business model and an incentive to mine. And the reason for that is that the block subsidy reward will end at, at like around 21, the year 2140. Yeah. But nonetheless, they're still going to be getting transaction fees. So the way the miners get paid is in two forms. The first is through transaction fees. And then the second is the block subsidy reward, which gets yep. halved every four years. Yep. And so it started being 50 Bitcoin per every block, per every yep. 10 minutes, yep. then 25, then 12.5, yep. now 6.25. So, and so, so what's, what are the transaction mm-hmm. fees going to be? And what's yep. the ability to, on the purely decentralized system, to maintain mm-hmm. uh, a reasonable number of transactions? Right now, it's still a very small number. Well, yeah, so that's the beautiful thing. That's actually a very interesting point to bring up is that the transaction fees are calculated in a way that we've not really ever seen before. Oftentimes, you'll see a transaction fee based on like the value amount, but in Bitcoin, it's completely different. It's actually based on the size of the transaction that it takes up on the block. So there's only like space for like two megabytes. Now they've done where it's like almost four megabytes. But the point is, let's say your transaction, Sydney, that you send takes up 1% of that um, block. So then you'll pay the fee per byte. So it's, it's called a V-byte. So um, you're going to be paying SATs per V-byte. So you're going to pay 1% to take up – your transaction is going to take up 1% of the block size. So therefore, you're going to pay that 1% fee of that whole block. Um, and if your transaction took up – 20%, then you'll pay 20% of that fee. So how are you going to keep but, that separate from Visa and MasterCard? How are you going to keep the... the, the uh, well, they have no business. They have no business anymore. Like, they're they're put out of business. So, so uh, the, I know, but, but... Yeah, it's uh, the miners that are doing their... their no, I know, I know are, that. But, okay, yeah. so have you got a mathematical model that tells me mm-hmm. uh, per transaction or per byte of transaction, yep. what is the price going to be? Well, so no, so it's it's Satoshi's. So it's on a Satoshi standard. So like, you know, you're going to pay X amount of Satoshi's per byte. So right now, if you look at like mempool.space, have you ever been to this website called mempool.space by any chance? No, I have not. It's a really cool website. If you go there now, if you're at your computer, um, you can go there and you'll see like all the different fees that are being um, paid right now. And then there's also a couple of other websites. If you guys don't mind, is it cool if I post some stuff in the NAS or do you prefer I put it up? Okay, cool. I'll do that. Okay, so let me ask you a question. So what Mm -hmm. is the price of one Bitcoin going to be? What's going to – at at so-called equilibrium, now that we're just going on transaction fees, what is the price of one Bitcoin – because I think in terms of Bitcoins, not Satoshis, what's the price going to be? Yeah. So I think when you say the word price, right, like you're thinking the exchange rate price. So currently there is an exchange rate price from Bitcoin to other fiat currencies. Mm-hmm. But once all these fiat currencies die off, which we're seeing in, right, because 
the reason that the exchange rate price continues to go up in U.S. dollar terms is because we're seeing the death of the U.S. dollar. All right. So, so, so right now, as we continue uh, to see that, we're going to see it go up in terms of U.S. dollars. But really what we should be talking about, I think, is the purchasing power. Because at the end of the day, that's all that really money. Okay, so right now right? you need like uh, two bitcoins to buy a, a regular car, right? Right. All right. How many bitcoins you got to need to buy a car once there's only transaction exactly. fees and no mining? Tell me. Exactly. We don't know, no, right? But uh -huh. it's probably going to be under a Bitcoin. It, we've historically seen, like, for example, the average size U.S. home, right, was worth maybe like a thousand Bitcoin like five years ago. Right. And today it's worth maybe like 10 Bitcoin. And so over time, historically, we've seen that continually go down. Right. The purchasing power continues to appreciate, whereas the purchasing power of the U.S. dollar continues to depreciate. And the reason right. for that how, is exactly many, okay. what you said earlier with okay. inflation. Okay, how, because, many Bitcoin, but, how many mm -hmm. transactions per second are there right now on the Bitcoin network? Well, so there's uh, always going to be about seven transactions per second happening. Okay, so how are you going to serve the world with seven transactions per second? Obviously, right, so that's a great question. So that's, that's, where, that's where like this whole scalability thing comes in. And so that's why, like, on layer one, you're only going to see, like, big transactions going through. And things on, like, smaller transactions, micropayments, people just transacting in the economy daily, like, to buy coffee, groceries, fuel, whatever people need to pay every day, it's going to happen on a layer two, like, lightning. And then there's also going to be layer threes and layer fours, the same way that there currently is, right? Like, with credit cards right. and, so, and so, debit so cards pure, and all so that. Pure, so pure decentralization is gone. What do you mean? How that's, so? not a, that's not a purely decentralized system. Sure that's it is, because the, what, makes, what makes Bitcoin decentralized oh, is the ability on, DJ, that anyone on Earth... Explain to level two will be purely decentralized is what he's asking. No, I don't, I don't think that's what he's asking. Okay. No, that's, the, what the layer asking. One... that's what I'm asking. Oh, okay, fine, sure. So the way that happens is because anyone can still open up a channel and then anyone can you know, still transact using Bitcoin. So it's decentralized because anyone can run a node. So anyone can, you know, confirm that their money is actually sitting there and that no one's lying to them. Well, and then it's also decentralized because anyone is able to transact freely without being censored. Well, okay. I mean, uh, I have to study that some more, but that's Sure. Yeah, I mean... So the whole point of decentralization, right, the whole, like, is so that no one can control you or me or anyone, right? Like, everyone here listening right now has the ability to spin up their own copy of the public ledger. Okay. And by doing so, you don't need to rely on a bank or a government to tell you how much value you hold. How are you going to deal with the uh, non-incentive compatibility aspect that E.L. and Sear talk about? So can you explain that to me? Because I don't know that. Theory. Okay, so do me a favor then, uh, get the paper, uh, E-Y-A-L, he's a professor of computer science, and Sear, Gun Sear, S-I-R-E-R, Department of Computer Science, Cornell, paper is called Majority is Not Enough, Bitcoin Mining is Vulnerable, and uh, work through that and then we can talk about it. All right, I will, yeah, I'm looking it up right now. So majority is not enough. Bitcoin mining is vulnerable. Is it on the arxiv.org website? Uh, I'm not from, sure. It's, it's a public it's by IEL. 
That's right. We present an attack in which colluding miners obtain a revenue larger than their fair share. Okay, yeah, I mean, see, the, the, these, these attacks, right? Like, what doesn't make sense to me is, like, why any attacker would want to destroy the Bitcoin network, because by doing so... No, no, it, 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 mm-hmm. it's, it's, if, if you look at the paper, it ends up being... I will. A, yeah. mm-hmm. okay. Go ahead. What, what were you going to say? It ends up being it, a what? It ends up being a, a process by which you get more than your fair share of, of dollar per computing power versus other groups by concealing mm-hmm. blocks that are already on your chain and only revealing them once your chain is long enough. That's what, that's what the concept is. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, that's not really possible with Bitcoin. Um, well, uh, look, look, you got two... I will have to read the paper, um, but I, but also, like, I'm not knowledgeable enough in that aspect of it, so I would probably want to send it to some of my uh, Bitcoin mining friends. Please, uh, there's, please. There's a lot smarter people than me, and this, I'm still learning about Bitcoin, but yeah. I, I, so I, I, I will read it, but I'll also send it around to some people and let them kind of... Do the heavy lifting for me right. here because I'm not that knowledgeable in that. Now, the, other, so, yeah, the other problem with Bitcoin mm-hmm. is the whole uh, uh, putting transactions in advance with the multi-sig issue, right? And and that's not been solved because then you have. What to do have... you mean? Can you explain what you mean? Because I mean, multi-sig is is a pretty great concept to have, right? Where you have multi multiple signatories in order to spend sure. the money. And, and now you have to have a third party arbitrator who decides when there's a contention in terms of the quality of what got delivered or whether it got delivered. Now you have a third-party arbitrator. And they have to yeah, I mean, you just have escrow. You just put it in escrow, basically. That's you're right. Basically, now yeah. you're depending on a third party. When you get it, if you're only selling digital, if you're selling digits for digits, fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bitcoin probably worse because you can digitally tell if the digital product has been delivered. But once you're talking about food, Mm-hmm. Or material or stuff like that. Those aren't digits. You can't, you can't send those along in, in fiber optics or through electromagnetic radiation. Mm-hmm. Now you've now you've got a third party having to make decisions, and uh, you're starting to uh, uh, when you deal with the physical world, Bitcoin is mm-hmm. not a natural uh, transaction. I mean, facility. the problem. Yeah. So that problem that you're describing is currently in existence even today. I mean, then then let's let's ask that question on how is that being treated today? I mean, the way it's being treated is the same way it's going to be treated in the future, which is reputational cost and also just operations, right? Like it's just business, like common sense to not cheat your consumer because if you do, they're going to tell everyone else that you're cheating them and then no one's going to do business with you. I know that's what the textbook says, but I think you and I are both aware that the amount of cheating – Low quality mm-hmm. products, faking is 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 a monster. Yeah. Well, and that's the other beautiful thing with Bitcoin too is that you'll have no chargeback ability, so it's final settlement. So you know you're gonna not do that because the minute you cheat somebody and the minute they say, hey, this guy's a cheater, no one is gonna do business with you. So you right. completely oh. destroy that. So you might scam one person, you might even scam two people or three people, but you won't be able to scam the whole world because. Everyone's gonna say, "Hey, this guy's a cheater. Their reputation is ruined. No one's gonna, no one's gonna transact with them." But can I, can I ask well, a question okay. about that though, DJ? Because even in the, within the Web three space, we have within the within the DeFi space even. Okay, let's forget about NFT since it's it's beneath your uh, beneath your level to even discuss. Uh, I won't even let you. Uh, <laughs> but but. Uh, Oh, are you are you telling me that I mean there are scammers who literally there are scammers who are on stages with ten thousand people saying bringing up the uh, concerns for scamming 
and they have rubbed people on on coins on shit coins so i i find when i hear that i tend to agree with you by the way dj satoshi on, on your bitcoin analyses but this whole concept of no one's gonna cheat because if they do they'll get a bad reputation i think that is just ridiculous. i never said that i never said that no one's gonna cheat there's always gonna be but cheaters it's not and a liars deterrence and thieves, because it's happening but, here all right now. but no but if anything through multi-sig if anything the point that sydney brought up i don't know if you heard him but he was talking about multi-sig and that's actually exactly what multi-sig stands to solve is that you can't cheat on these types of situations because there's going to be a multi-sig right so you're going to for example have a two of three where one of the signers is going to be a, a law firm you know for example just as an example but there's many ways that this is being dealt with and actually multi-sig transactions are happening successfully today with big transactions whether it's buying a house or whether it's selling something of, of high value and you need you know, millions of dollars for the transaction. And so you're not just going to go ahead and send the million dollars and then expect something to come and arrive. You're going to actually have it go through a multi-sig process. And this has been already solved, but I mean, I, have a question. Why I haven't been doing be... these transactions. So you guys are talking to the well, wrong person. Well, why does it have to be escrow you know? situation? Why can't it be an, in, an automatic See, see, the thing is, once you bring it, yeah, I mean, in, it's not. It's yeah, not there, there are smart contracts within this too. Right. There, there are smart contracts within this too that are written up. But I think Sydney's point is more in the physical world. So, in the physical world, I wasn't thinking about like smart contract style, you know. When, but you can use that again. Like, we should probably, uh, Carl. I'm happy to connect you with a few people that know a lot more about Bitcoin than I do, so that you can have more of a better debate. Um, especially in terms of multi-sig, especially in terms of mining, because I think it would be good for you guys to hear this from people that have a lot more experience than just myself. And 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 while I say that, I also want to be respectful to a couple of these hands, so that it's not only just me and and me talking. So well, I'll me, just listen throw, for a let little. This, let me throw one thought at you. Yeah, please. Along as long as lines. Um, yeah. In the physical world, somebody will buy something like a car, and they'll pay for it, and they're happy. And then the car blows up or burns. I'm not saying a Tesla, but but it doesn't work out well. It's a mess and the and it's, it's a bad product. That person has to go back and, and now renegotiate or sue, right? That's what happens in the modern mm -hmm. world with physical. Yeah. In order to do that, uh, the, you have to go to the court system. Either 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 you develop your own mercenary force, your an army, or you go to the court system, right? The legal system. What happens if the government says we're not going to recognize Bitcoin transactions? We only recognize transactions and currencies we approve. Right. Then yeah. what happens? And that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, then no one is going to pay taxes to that government anymore. And they're going to say, hey, you know what? If you're not going to protect me, clearly I paid with Bitcoin and clearly that should be OK. I mean, this is the big fight right now. How would you be so able to propose any... that nobody would be paying their municipal taxes, property taxes, any, any form of income taxes that they would be derived if not doing a transaction in Bitcoin or denied for that? And I think Sydney is bringing up a, mm -hmm. a very important point is in the insurances that, let's say, transactions are, are had within our current system in the sense that if I have a fraudulent uh, transaction with a visa, I could call my visa and say, I need my charge back because this was fraudulent. And essentially, I create this form of security and trust system and I'll get my money back almost immediately. Yeah, but that's the problem is that like, what you're then doing is, first of all, you never know if the person claiming that charge back is being honest. So you're just kind of putting the trust within the person claiming it. Technically, every single one of us here who uses a credit card can literally go on our credit card right now and dispute every single transaction. And guess what? It'll go into a dispute process. So 
you're all right, you know, but then guess who gets screwed? Either the company who provided you that service is going to get screwed or you, the consumer, is going to get screwed. Well, we so, know it's not going to be Donald Trump. <laughs> exactly, right? And so, like, this is like, Sydney, you bring up a great point. I mean, I think the point here, like, the real big thing is that this is exactly why we need governments to just be respectful. And we've already seen this. This has already been ruled on. So it's not like we're waiting on this ruling where, oh, is Bitcoin going to be accepted for barter and for trade? It already is. You know, the SEC's already called it a commodity. The CFTC's already called it a commodity. Legally, we know that Bitcoin is a commodity. Legally, we know that human individuals in the U.S. are able to use Bitcoin freely however they want to. So this isn't like something like we're waiting on. This is something we know. And if they try to change this, well, hey, then this is basically like them taking your gun away. This is basically like them taking any freedom away from you. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get Bitcoin Joker from the crypto community up here because he's had his hand up for a while, he or she, um, and then driving and then Sabathius. <clears throat> hey, Carl, I got to tell you, Carl, you're one cool moderator. I love the way you do this. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think I suck, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning. No, you're great. you're great. No, you're great, brother. You're great. I love your you're, faces. You're cool. Thanks for hosting. So – I just want to uh, remind people, if you're coming up here, please, um, you know, say, I, I, I know Sydney now pretty, pretty good. Uh, he's a great human being. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he, he gives everybody the respect they deserve. So, you know, even if you're coming up here and you do have a difference of opinion, just keep it clean, right? You know, state your facts and, and your due diligence and, and go back and forth. Because I know not everyone's going to agree with Sydney and, and, and vice versa, right? So if you want to come on, kind of come on up and challenge him, that's, that's totally fine. Just be respectful. Yeah, hello at all. Thanks for having me. I don't have much to say. Study Bitcoin and the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Understand the difference between proof of work and proof of stake and decide wisely how to transport your value safely and with lasting value into the future, especially all the lovely people with the funny pixel pictures in their profiles here in the space. When you really start to understand Bitcoin, you will know why Bitcoin exists and the rest are just shitcoins. If you don't believe me or don't get it, I don't have time to try to convince you. So study Bitcoin, opt out the fiat system, be your own bank and good luck at all. That's just, all I have. Just to be very clear, just so you know, uh, uh, I... Uh, not that I'm the world's expert, I'm far from it. I'm an amateur. But to me, Bitcoin is definitely very, very unique in the encrypted uh, currency world. Very unique. And if anything is going to have good lasting ability, it's Bitcoin. Um, so it's I recognize that for sure. Yeah, no, and I see that you do, Sydney, and you're really there. It's just... Um... I, I hear your doubts. Your doubts are very natural. Like, just so you know, most Bitcoiners that are now Bitcoiners went through the same cycle that you're going through right now with all the great questions you're asking. That's why I think, like, I keep coming back here is because I know that you're, like, learning about it. You're asking great questions. And I think that the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that, you know, there are just smarter people there than me, you know? So I don't have to like lift the heavy, I don't have to do the heavy lifting, you know? Like I'm not a mathematician, I'm not a cryptographer. I'm just a regular guy who wants to be able to work and who wants to be able to get paid in a currency that can't be debased by other people for their own gain, that can't be stolen from and that can't be cheated. I just wanna do what Bitcoin Joker said. I just wanna be a free sovereign individual with my own money. 
And I think all of us in the whole world want the same exact thing. And that's why Bitcoin is going to succeed because if you're against Bitcoin, you're against freedom. Yeah. So I just want to take us a minute here to, to, uh, I think I I agree with that statement, by the way, just so you know, I agree with the statement that was just made. I think the gold, uh, space, which I'm very active in, know a lot of executives, uh, CEOs of these mining companies from exploration companies to producers to developers. They're always looking for new, the generalist investors to come in. They're looking for new shareholders, but they're not participating in spaces like this. I mean, I know I've seen a few lately, but they're, they, I mean, this is a pretty big space in my opinion. And, you know, there's lots of people from the crypto community here today, um, but it'd be great to hear other than the normal talking heads who seem to really just have a narrative and then funnel people into some fucking community. Um, it, it really would be nice to see, uh, you know, the gold community come in here and, and, and have a discussion with the Bitcoin or I should say, sorry, crypto community. If I could just add to that, you know, Michael Saylor and Frank Schuster, they have good talks and that's, that's wonderful. But uh, to me, if you're not a, uh, a good social theorist, and if you're not a pretty good mathematician, and if you're not a, if you're not haven't got those two things, you can't have a a talk about these currencies which are any better than pure marketing the angle you're at. You have to be able to understand the the mathematics and the theories, starting with the white paper and then going on all the subsequent computer sciences that can work, you know, like at Harvard and, and Cornell, etc. If you can't do it at that level, and also you have to understand gold very, very well. Why is it where it's at? What is the interaction of all the paper that's been taken into it versus pure gold? We know there's derivatives upon derivatives upon derivatives, just like with FTX and everyone else. There's all these non, uh, you know, there's all these uh, exchanges which are completely decentralized, as has been pointed out. So you got to be able to discuss all that stuff very rigorously, and there's not many people willing to do all that work. Sid, here's a question yeah. for you. If yeah. if crypto wasn't a thing, right, didn't exist, yeah, would the gold price be higher today? No. Okay, and why? <laughs> I'm um, so sorry. What's the question? Sorry. Sorry. What was the question? The question was if crypto didn't exist. Let's say crypto did not exist. Bitcoin, crypto, whatever. Would the gold price be higher? Okay. Uh, I've got to pick the numbers. Crypto's got a market cap of about six, seven hundred billion. And uh, gold's got a market cap, I think, of like uh, two trillion or something like that. That's fine. Um, Now, here's the problem with gold, in my opinion. The vast majority of people that hold gold hold it through derivatives, paper derivatives. And I have no idea how many times the same piece of gold is held on paper and how many times it's been shorted. We know the market's been manipulated by various banks. I won't mention their names, right? So it is it is a illusory, very obtuse marketplace where you can't tell what the heck is going on. Okay, number one. Uh, number two. Uh, gold has not been a gold has not been doing any better than inflation for approximately 
a mere 2,000 years, 3,000 years. It could always buy a nice pair, nice suit. And right now you can get a, ni- a damn nice suit for 2,000 bucks unless you're out of your mind. And you got to pay 6,000 bucks for 20,000 bucks. Now, I was just in LA on Rodeo Drive bagging a bunch of stuff. So I should, I shouldn't really talk, but, but, uh, uh, the market is very unclear. Now we're pricing gold, of course, in U.S. dollars, and it's not being priced in um, other currencies. And other currencies have done really well. So that marketplace is very, very confused. And I know since I've been watching gold since the mid '80s. Okay, gold has not been particularly speculative and doing particularly well, even though we have massive inflation since 1987. And Bitcoin was not around in the 80s, 90s, and, you know, it sort of barely started, I think, in 2008. Um, so um, I think the real challenge with gold is the ability for it to be manipulated by uh, uh, governments and government agencies. And also, um, uh, it's the uh, very high inflation that's been in- involved in all the other assets. You would have done a lot better with the S&P or, or with Tesla or with Facebook or Meta than you would have done on gold. Those issues are enough to have, to have kept gold where it's at. Now, historically, gold has not been a very big speculative investment. It's only kept pace with inflation. And, and would you uh, say that, that was because of uh, its relation to monetary supply? One for one, essentially, it was the monetary supply since 1717, Isaac Newton's declaration of the gold standard, and as so forth. We've had inflationary pressures in conjunction to, let's say, uh, mining supplies and liquidity of gold on, upon the market. So uh, inflationary pressures were, in essence, in relation to new mining supply or lack of mining supply. Keep it real simple. Gold, uh, gold grows at about 2% a year, right? And the world economy grows at about 2% a year. So if gold was actually used as, a, uh, as money, it's actually kept its, its, its value quite well. Yeah, precisely, and especially I, once we take into account August 15th, 1971, and we say a base price was $35 per ounce, that was buying me roughly a twenty-five dollars to $30,000 house, that's 750 ounces. Today, that 750 ounces is roughly $1.5 million, and it's in conjunction yeah. to that same real estate yeah. value that would necessarily... Yeah, so, so I, think, I think, you know, uh, Nicholas Taleb has described gold really well. It's not convex. It's not uh, anti-fragile, i.e., well, without getting into the mathematics, it's robust, and that's sort of true. Um, now, I did that slide where I demonstrated there's not really enough gold around for it to be the world currency, and there never was. Uh, there could be enough Satoshis around to be the world currency if it continues to be an independent system and work as an independent system. Time will tell. Social constructs, which Bitcoin is, have only been proven over long periods of time. Uh, and that's the only scientific statement you can sort of make because science has to be based on replicable experiments. We've only had Bitcoin around for like 15 years. That's, that's one quarter or one fifth of a normal lifetime. And we know the strength of currencies are evaluated over, over the life of an empire or over a century. So, you know, it's, but, but no, I, I, I don't believe gold will be any higher if, if Bitcoin wasn't here. I just don't believe it because there's too many other factors involved. At the end of yeah. the day, it's not a scientific statement. It's a belief. It's a supposition. I can't yeah. prove it or disprove it. 
but we know that in Argentina and in, in Venezuela and other places, you know, gold's you know been a very high value. America's been very, very strange. America's been bubbleized, financialized, and Bitcoin's financialized right now. Uh, it's been bubbleized since 1987, and we know that's probably ending. So it's okay. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go to Sphinx and uh, then Chevy. Sure. Hey guys. So I just wanted to answer the question that Sydney asked about whether those uh, the solutions that would allow Bitcoin to scale would indeed um, allow it to remain uh, trustless. So I want to go over some very quickly some of those solutions. So basically, one is segregated witness SegWit. Uh, and this protocol basically would not impact the trustlessness nature of transactions, right? Because um, it simply just recognizes transaction data and stored blocks, right? So it would improve efficiency without compromising security. As for the Lightning Network that was mentioned, that BJ Satoshi mentioned, um, it's designed to be trustless. And um, it relies on smart contracts, Um and cryptographic techniques, but it lets um, users transact off-chain, right? So even though the transactions of the main blockchain, the parties involved, uh, always come back to the main chain if there are any disputes arise, ensures trustlessness. So we also have other things that I won't get into, like snore signatures that also does not compromise yep. uh, trustlessness. And also block size increase and side chains, and then optimize transaction processing. So none of those things do um, uh, do actually affect uh, trustlessness uh, that we see that as we see it going forward today. I do want to say something though. First of all, I want to acknowledge DJ Satoshi for, for leaving his echo chambers and venturing off here. Uh, I, I think that's very brave of him, and I want to give him kudos for that, and he knows I'm a fan. Uh, so he better not interrupt me again or I'll stop being a fan. But what, was that, <laughs> but, but what I was going to say is, while I think, while I know all of this, and I, I firmly believe all of this, and do believe in Bitcoin, I, I do think it is, I will tell you one thing. If they told me today... If you buy a car and this car, whatever, ends up killing or maiming you or something, you cannot go to court if you paid in Bitcoin. Let me tell you something. You better believe I am not going to pay for it in Bitcoin. And you better also believe I'm going to continue to pay my taxes. So to think otherwise is utter folly. I just want to bring reality here because unless you think that unless we're at a situation where the entire world has converted or the country has converted to using Bitcoin, that's something else. But as of now, nobody is going to stop paying taxes because they say, you know, you can't bring a lawsuit because you paid in Bitcoin. They're going to stop paying in Bitcoin, period. Thank you. I, I, I would agree with that. Well, let me rephrase that. At the end of the day, um, um, it's been working uh, remarkably well and it could continue to work to me the real risk is that in the same way that governments made holding gold a criminal act and throw you in prison and, and charge you and took away our money they could do it to uh, anything they don't like and if you look at the public statements and the activities of all the governments in, in the last uh, eight weeks uh, the momentum is not very uh, good uh, Sphinx do you want to comment on that you actually cut out for me. Could you repeat it? 
the, the activities of the governments, especially the U.S., the boss of the Russians and the Chinese on cryptocurrencies of all types and we can and Bitcoin has been very, uh, very dark and, and, and not very pleasant in the last eight weeks. Absolutely. I mean, the executive order that came out in March of 2022 already already uh, signaled that USDC was was in the works. Um, and 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 that to me um, signaled something that was coming and it sort of explained uh, the kind of explained the undertones of everything that the government has been doing that multiple. I'll stick to the U.S. government, but I agree with you. It, it is. Um, Bitcoin is is independent. It is um, boundaryless. It is nationless. It is stateless, as you will. So I I do think if you're coming out with a USDC or whatever, you you kind of want, uh, you you may see that as a bit of a threat. Yeah, I mean that's that's why when I started, I'm talking about uh, mythology. I'm talking about politics, social constructs, changes in governments, and you know. With, with all these sanctions and stuff, money has become bullets. I've been saying that for a long time. And the government doesn't like uh, anarchistic persons, i.e. persons who don't like government. That's what the word anarchy means, without an archon, without a, a government, without a leader. Governments don't like people who don't like governments. So it's, Indeed. Uh, and governments love to, they are fine letting you get filthy rich but within limits and as long as you behave. And this goes for really most governments, if you will. Um, and, and this concept of Bitcoin, um, I, I, you know, this is, by the way, this isn't based on, this is just my uninformed opinion, if you will. Um, sure. Bitcoin, Bitcoin is, is, a, is a threat to governments uh, with respect to that, and and not a threat to just any government, but a threat mostly to governments that are really not having much civil disobedience. You know, not having revolutions all the time, uh, not not in danger of uh, getting overthrown every every other year or whatever, having a military coup every other year. So that kind of thing. It's like there's an independence that is separate from the state that Bitcoin does give you that I do find it a bit threatening to governments. Right. Um, Jeff, you want to come up and speak? Yeah, can you guys hear me okay? Excellent. Yep. Yeah. Uh, thanks for letting me jump in. Uh, I've been listening for a little while. I've got a few different topics that I wanted to touch back on. Um, they're related to scalability and comparing to Visa, uh, multisig and escrow, and kind of the 6102 attack and seizureship resistance. So uh, I'll start with scalability. I think David was mentioning that it can't compete with Visa. Um, a lot of people will often say that because it could only handle seven transactions per second, that it's not going to ever scale to be able to meet the, the demands of 8 billion people. Um, but Bitcoin isn't trying to replace Visa, isn't trying to compete with Visa. Visa is... But Jeffy, just to uh, recorrect, re I, I didn't state the scalability and its abilities to scale. I said that the trustability and the fact that I could call Visa and say that my transaction is going to be insured immediately if it was a faulty transaction. Excellent point. And the fact yeah. that I can get a reimbursement to that transaction immediately. And you can't get that within that form of ledger on Bitcoin. Uh, no, you cannot. But I'll get to that. And thank you for the clarification. So... Um, Bitcoin is effectively a, a base layer solution. Um, so you have to take a step back from thinking of it in direct competition with 
the likes of Visa, which for all intents and purposes is more like a layer three solution. I highly recommend a book called Layered, uh, Layered Money by uh, Nick Batia, who talks through some of these fundamental principles of how money has existed and how it's been structured. Um, and Visa is really just kind of a, uh, a, an additional layer on top of money that allows for faster transactions between individuals, but there is no settlement that happens instantaneously. It can take days, can take weeks, um, and they're providing a service. They're basically offloading the responsibility of somebody to be able to pass a bare instrument between different parties uh, and provide these kinds of uh, recourse solutions, right? Bitcoin intentionally doesn't have recourse. It is final. There is finality in your right. transactions. And that's, right. that's a good thing, ultimately. Um, and in a Bitcoin environment, you're still going to have businesses that are going to build these scalable solutions in order to uh, meet the needs of thousands or millions of transactions per second. You're seeing that with, um, you know, solutions like the Lightning Network that are trying to do it in a uh, quasi-decentralized manner to try and meet those needs in a way that doesn't necessarily rely on a centralized entity. But at the end of the day, right. even if those don't necessarily succeed, having Visa or MasterCard or American Express no longer use the U.S. dollar but instead use Bitcoin is a net positive. So I think it's important to be able to distinguish between you know, specific applications and uses of money and the underlying fundamental base layer settlement solution and the decentralized nature of that. Yeah. Sydney, I, I'll let yeah, you my respond only comment to that first that if you want be, to. Sure. Um, I, I, in terms of all the technical aspects, uh, I can agree with you. Uh, in terms of the what, what banks are and what Visa is, et cetera, um, in the current world, you know, in the 19th century, you had small government and you had big business. And then in the 20th century, they sort of cut back on business, you know, the robber barons, the whole mythology of the robber barons. The government got bigger. Right now, we're in a new world that's advanced. Government and business are the same thing. Google, Meta, Facebook, IBM, it's all part of the government. Uh, employees go back and forth between government and big business. Uh, and if, if you look at the, the amounts of money that's government caused as opposed to private caused, it's a big deal. And right now, Janet Yellen trying to deal with inflation, she says, oh, we're just going to get the banks to cut back on credit. She She's going to do that. So uh, if the government wants to do what they can do, and, and for a government, currency is at the present time, all they have to control things are uh, at the present time is currency or military. So it's it's a big it's a big background issue I think. At the end of the day, I think I think Bitcoin is a anarchistic structure. It's a structure meant for liberty and individual action. It's a very von Mises type concept, which is what gold was supposed to be, which is why you like gold. Um, but if you know if the government doesn't like it, they're not going to like it. And you know, whereas six or seven years ago, when I suggested this to a lot of people I spoke to, they they could say, oh well, they could laugh about it. Now that'll never happen. We're seeing governments. I think the issue around Bitcoin, to me personally, is you can always solve technical problems. And at the end of the day, Bitcoin is only going to work if, if you don't have one fatal transaction, which, which completely destroys trust. So assuming there'll be not one fatal transaction, you know, who knows what that might be. 
uh, the system should continue to build adherence. It should continue to work. And the only thing which could limit it is um, government. Yeah, so- and, and one thing I, I will say, though, is I think Mises would disagree with the idea that, well, one, a government entity would be able to track uh, and, uh, and let's say, uh, yes, let track through the ledger and through the blockchain the actual transaction. Theoretically, if I do a transaction with DJ, it's not going to be completely secure in the sense that there is going to be certain forms of traceability within that transaction, unlike if I take a $20 bill or a gold coin and I then give it to DJ and we do an immutable transaction transaction within the economy. Okay, David, but then try to uh, transact a uh, million dollars between you and DJ with cash or gold. That that would be right. That, that's a, that's half easy hypothecation. And it's in fact, if you go back to the 18th century, this is going to be an interesting uh, play on this. The reason we have future contracts is in fact, because of the poker tables that we've had. If you go to John Limpton, JP Morgan, and all these hypothecations that they were doing, they would often create a first time contracts in the ta- in the poker table in order to create the future revenues of a business and make sure that they could play with this. And then this evolved into the actual hypothecations of wheat, but not for for, let's say, the actual farmer to be able to hedge their wheat production. On the contrary, it was for participators in New York Stock Exchange to then be able to profit off of these actual uh, wheat productions and potential revenues. I, I don't see how that relates MIT to course development you, on, on all of this procedures. Can, can you clarify how that relates to the potential traceability so of a transaction it, me and DJ would then be able to create a legal contract in the sense of saying I will then transact a million dollars of whatever entity between gold and or uh, fiat depending on what our transaction yeah, and through that we'd be able to transact it's fairly simple yeah what what you're saying is what you're saying is and it ties into historically what's happened you started off with uh, people creating money and then you had governments create money and governments say you can't use this money so what you're saying is you can always create a new kinds of money, which what derivatives are and what futures are and what all kinds of agreements are. So well, that's I, right. I, sorry, you, Sydney, just to, to clarify, because I think the point that he was trying to make is that the, the transparency of the blockchain is a negative attribute of Bitcoin and that cash or gold allows for there to be uh, less transparency or kind of a more opaque transaction where you can transact between two individuals and not have... Uh, you know, anybody else be able to see that transaction occur. I think that would have been true up until this decade. In this decade, when there's cameras absolutely everywhere, uh, the world has changed. And when you're, you know, when, when your cell phone and your, your watch is listening in on you and everything you do is, and there's, you know, digital recognition of everything, you got to be pretty sneaky. You got to be a genius. You have to become the invisible man to be able to transact. Well, Sydney, I mean, well, I mean there's many the, untaxable transactions that occur within the economy, even let's say closed transactions for auto parts and or for actual work on a car, right? You go to your actual, and there's many forms of these iterances that occur that necessarily mitigate and, and, and create tax avoidance situations. You can't have that within a Bitcoin structure in the sense that every single transaction will essentially be derived. Obviously, I'm creating the situation in the hypothetical or individual. <laughs> I, 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 I agree so far, but Arfix and cameras, you know, uh, spies, our whole society is becoming highly. I'm I'm rather uh, I, I don't know if I would agree that prior to the past decade that it was easy to be able to transact large amounts 
without any traceability and uh, without having, I mean, David was providing an example where there's literally a legal contract that needs to be created in order to make these transactions. No, that was just a hypothetical situation. And I used larger players that were actually uh, creating these contracts transacting larger than just 1 million denounced. They were transacting full companies on poker tables. And it was just a legal constraint between the trust of the two characters and the actual legal, uh, legal contract that was established. And so what we understand is actually... It's the legality behind the actual monetary device that we're using that's in, important within it, and that, that that's fairly precedent, especially when we're looking at the glass. I, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. At the end of the day, uh, I think you are correct as far as you've taken it. I think it's surveillance that's going to be the next big problem. If I can, if I can just continue, I had a couple of the topics that I wanted to touch on. Um, one being kind of the seizureship resistance, the uh, Executive Order 6102. Um, and Sydney, I think you implied that they, quote, they could do that to anything else. Um, yep, they could. So um, I, I think maybe it, I, I might have misunderstood your perception of multisig. Um, I think maybe you were just kind of more focused in on using multisig as an escrow tool as opposed to multisig as a tool for securing your Bitcoin. Um, I was strictly talking about the escrow concept where you need a third party to make the final. Absolutely. So multisig is actually a very useful tool for someone that doesn't want to involve a third party or to do escrow related uh, activities. I wasn't talking about that. So, um, but as it pertains to kind of seizureship resistance and uh, an executive order 6102, um, multi-sig with Bitcoin is a huge innovation in that it, for the first time, allows you to geographically distribute the cryptographic information in order to unlock access to um, a digital bearer instrument um, in a way that, you know, for centuries there had been uh, effectively multi-signature in, uh, you know, uh, safe where individual uh, participants would have a key and only once you bring certain people together and they all stand at the same time and turn a key to something yep. open. Uh, Bitcoin effectively has been able to create that in a digital space for a digital bearer instrument. Uh, and uh, what that does is it means that uh, you can geographically distribute the information related to your multi-signature, you can still uh, deposit Bitcoin into that, you know, cold storage vault, that safe as it were. And then at such time as you need to be able to transact with it, you then have to go and collect all of that information in order to transact. But you are significantly reducing the ability for somebody to walk into your home and say, you no longer are allowed to have this. Or, you know, the government says, we know that you have Bitcoin and you need to give it to us. Um, you have plausible deniability and you have the ability to leave that as far removed from your home as possible to ensure the safekeeping of that Bitcoin. Yep. I was talking about uh, the physical world and not, not digital assets. And I know that's just much more subtle than that. And I was talking about the uh, attack on the government's two thirds control of the economy versus people trying to uh, get it down to zero. And uh, governments will get involved because at the end of the day, we're physical beings. We're not digital beings. Sure. Um, You know, at the end of the day, 
money is really not actually a physical thing. Money is a ledger and a way of transacting value between individuals. Yep, that part is right. But you can't eat money. You can't certainly money, cannot. And you can't, nope, you can't eat gold either, right? A hundred percent. I basically said, uh, said the two are at least are very close to being identical. But in many ways. I, I think my my final point, and then I'll I'll step back for others to be able to join in. But um, I think in terms of uh, seizureship resistance, you know, uh, government seizing money is something that has happened for a long time. Um, and people thought that gold was a way to be able to avoid this, uh, and they've run into issues for a long time. 6102 is just yeah. one example. Uh, people trying to flee Germany in World War II is another clear example. There's continuing to be yeah. examples of people trying to leave with precious metals or jewelry yeah. and having it seized at the border. Um, the fact that you can walk across a border with literally nothing in your pocket, but 12 words in your head is a pretty powerful idea. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the day, the seizure I worry about is the seizure of your body, not the seizure of your, 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 uh, yeah, ledger. in that case, no money matters. Right. Right. So governments are always going to be there. Uh, different way to say that there's always going to be people who are potentially more powerful than you are who might not like you and you know one guy that comes to mind is a certain elon musk he's sure pushing it all right let's move on a little bit if you uh, i know there's a bunch of people with their hands up if you can uh, if someone wants to take this in a little bit of a different direction or has a question uh for sid um Let's uh, come on up and, and speak. or a comment or a comment. Either way. So, I have a question. Do you know the differences in the like consensus layers of like the account model, the UTXO models, uh, and how that would play into the layer two decentralization? No, and I, I, I don't think these decentralized uh, distributed ledger technology. Every one of these other ones are a shit coin because a lot of these good pieces of tech don't need to be labeled a shit coin just because you got your bag somewhere else. But like, what do you think, Sid? What, what's the specific question? Can, do you know what Ouroboros is? No, no, I don't. Okay. So do you, you don't know how other mechanisms of these ledgers build trust or distribute I, uh, your network? Um, let me just uh, say this. Um, at the present time, I do not believe that well i say two things uh at the end of the day if a if if a new technical concept is going to work you either have to be able to prove it mathematically with computer science that's the first thing i'd say the second thing i'd say is all these systems belong depend on trust and historically which means scientifically with different systems it's this thing working over a long period of more and more people are able to trust it and use it so Scientifically, you want to see it replicated many times, and social constructs take a lifetime. That, that's that's the kind of period I'm talking about. So there's the computer science issue, and there's the social construct issue. Now, let's say the social construct issue is fine, that people can form societies which are distributed, and they can transact in the physical world, which requires a relationship, which is there for a society. No, no one person or two people can build a car or a house. And let's say the computer science can actually prove it. Let's say all that's fine, and that's good. Okay, the ultimate issue is, are we going to see the end of states? 
And are we going to see a true anarchistic system? Anarchy does not mean chaos. Anarchy means free of government control. Free of control of a guy who thinks he knows better than you what you should do with your body. Um, I think that's the concern. The concern is government involvement and determining what you can and can't do or what you can and can't sue on or execute on. Because at the end of the day, in North America, if someone, if you get screwed, if the product wasn't even thought, if it wasn't properly described, if you know, you can always come up with some something, you know, bad marketing or it blew up or, you know, you buy a house two years later, it blows up. It doesn't, you know, it's not working on machinery or a car. You have to be able to sue. If the government doesn't recognize your contract, you can't sue. So th- those are the issues. It's the interaction with the government. And, and I just state that right now, governments are, especially the United States, but also China, actually, they're going big time with smart contracts, with surveillance, public surveillance, going after control and they control you with money or they control you with, with the police, which is, which is basically a military organization. And, uh, you know, Bitcoin is libertarian and gold is libertarian, but the things they're trying to solve when the government is two thirds of the economy, it's, it's a bit of a challenge. So you, you got to work with governments and I'm not sure where governments are going on it, but I don't think governments like seeing people as opposed to them minting what we call money. Well, it's about favorable legislation, right? And I just don't yes. want the Bitcoin maxis to only push their token, right? It's it's counterproductive. Can I why, can I just not? make a point on that real quick, Sydney? What you just said is extremely important, and and I'll touch on that real quick and just say this is why it's so important, and this is why it's so good that Bitcoin has an incentive for everyone, because at the end of the day, who is government? Right now, and it's like you said earlier, right? Who is government right now? It's the corporations. And it's in their best incentive to adopt Bitcoin as well because it's in their best incentive to be able to serve the masses. Because if they only are able to serve people on a CBDC or in a really small pool of oppressed individuals, then it's not healthy for anyone, whether they're called government whether they're called corporations or whatever. And the other thing, too, is at the end of the day, who are these corporations? Who are these governments? They're people just like me and you. And for them, once they understand the incentive of Bitcoin, which is just freedom money, then it's a no-brainer. Right. Could I I offer a thought at this point? You're a co-host, man. (laughs) Okay. Here's Here's a thought, and this is why I started with Plato. And uh, this is why, you know, uh, I, look, I like the Old Testament as a metaphor and, and for knowledge and wisdom and the ancient wisdom literature. And I like Buddhism and Hinduism and Taoism. And I like Plato, like one of my major heroes. The book, The Republic, it's about governments. But what it's really about is justice. That's what the Republic is about, justice. And libertarianism and Bitcoin is about justice and, fa- and fairness, we might call it in the modern world, right? So in book uh, in book three or four of the Republic, Plato uh, says something which which invented the modern world, meaning like the last two thousand years. Okay, and he's talking about what is he, first he wants to get into what is the just person, what is the happy person. In order to address that, he gets into what is the just society. Okay, and he says, okay, what have we concluded now is justice. He says justice is a combination of three things. Okay, courage moderation and prudence or another word for prudence if you translate the greek is wisdom so justice meaning the right way of being for a person but he's talking about a state is a combination of prudence 
wisdom, courage, whatever that means, and moderation, which means balance. And then he's asked, well, what else is there? He says, well, it's also about minding your own business. So what he literally says that. It literally says that in the Republic, if you want to get a good translation by Alan Bloom. And this is like the great philosopher. Like everyone's pretty much has heard of him. That's even part of the Western world. Minding your own business. So what he's saying is don't get involved in other people's lives, telling them what they should be. Figure out your own life because that's what will make you happy. So I think it all ties into that. And, uh, you know, I really enjoy it. Enjoy the depth of thought you put into it. I enjoy the energy. And I notice even myself, right? You know, I, I was I was quite a fan of Bitcoin years ago as, as a measure of value. I think it has yet to be proven as a social construct, um, which is just a matter of time, but it's okay. Theoretically it's fine. It's like like all even all the computer science says works, but you gotta you know, think about prudence, courage, moderation, and minding your own business. Bitcoin wants to do that. Governments do not want to mind their own business. As they get bigger, they seem to want to mind everybody else's business. So that's something to be aware of. So when you talk about their self-interest, what's in their self-interest? Is it just being richer and richer and richer and richer and richer? Because they will become that if they control the mining power, which they're going to want to do always and pretend they don't. So these are just subjects I mentioned for consideration. I don't have a final. It's beyond that, man. It's a, it's a legacy, saying. right? It's legacy. They they're chasing legacy now. They're beyond money and resources. And, and specifically, like in the Republic book one as well, Socrates and Xenophon. So Xenophon, we're having a a discussion as to uh, the art of money making and why it's necessarily relevant to certain aspects in life and why it's irrelevant in certain aspects to life. And they even made a, a, a an allegory to uh, Tlaib's uh, developments within, let's say. Uh, oil markets but I think what's very interesting is when we talk about mathematics the academy being the birthplace of geometrical principles and in fact that being one of the founding schools of Plato in that sense and on the top of the school it stated those ignorant of uh, geometry shall not step foot and I think it, it creates a very cool allegory toward let's say today's concepts within uh, uh, Kirk Gordell's inconsistency or incomplete theorems in the sense that it is pr- uh, based on the premises of, let's say, set theory and uh, Zimalo Franklin set theories. And uh, he brought in some uh, axiomatic principles that were pretty prevailing in the sense that Ulysses' uh, geometrical theories were fairly conclusive to say that there's some axiomatic proofs to this. But unfortunately, there's incompleteness to developments within mathematics. And by participating within a system, we have um, uh, inabilities to actually extrapolate true mathematical notation of that system. And so any of the math that we have currently is simply barometers to actual mathematical proofs that would be implied within, let's say, relativity and other forms of theories. There's an interesting book, The Walk with Kirk O'Dell and Albert Einstein, discussing relativity and different relations to this type of idea where incompleteness was necessarily relevant in the ideas of how humans would grasp certain mathematical concepts. David, I, I agree with David. everything you just said. I could add to it, but if I do that, it'll really get off off track. <laughs> but I agree with everything you I think you should do it. I think that was beautiful. David is such a, a bright young man, and uh, I always learn so much from him, and, and you as well, Sydney. It's really great. 
I just want to make a quick point, which is that like as I got into Bitcoin and started learning yeah. about it, yeah. I actually learned so much about libertarianism and, and exactly that, what Plato says, right, to just kind of mind your own business and to kind of just focus on your life and better yourself. Um, and, and I think that that's why I'm so like a passionate about Bitcoin and also hopeful because I think that this is exactly what like everyone is searching for and they just simply don't know it yet. Right. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll, we're talking about Socrates and mathematics. So I'll just, you know, mention that, you know, Socrates does say, he says with great uh, trepidation, as we talk about how do you create the justice, the, the just society after he's already stated that there's three kinds of people. There's wise people, there's strong people, and there's everybody else. That's a statement that would not be very popular these days in the press, right? But after he stated that, he takes that as a fact in terms of forming the wise society. And then he says, we have to come up with a, a false, with a noble falsehood, with a noble falsehood. Uh, and he's basically saying that every society depends on noble falsehoods. What he's really saying is we don't know what the ultimate reality is. And um, that's, of course, the allegory of the cave, but, but it's also the allegory or, or the parable of the, of the metals. And he also talks about human nature at the end. The very end of it is the tale of Ur, right? What would you say? I forget the name of the young man who was talking. What would you say, if, if you know what you probably do, is the theme of the tale of Ur at the end of the Book of the Republic? David is the name, by the way. David, yeah. Do you, you recall that, that story? Yeah, but it's hard to extrapolate, and I don't want to pontificate any randomness, but I'd rather have you describe it. Okay, it... What okay, so the first part is is the metals. He says different people have different abilities, and we have to come up with uh, some noble falsehood to get people to go along with it because people just aren't perfect. That's what he says in the first story. In the second story, which is the story of the cave, he says, you know, we see what we think are are things. We know what they are, but those things are shadows of what the emperors provide but the emperors don't even know what the reality is it's outside outside the cave right so he's saying that's really far removed he finally takes it to the end and what i find interesting is that that as it's been carried forward over the last couple thousand years right up into the modern age when people even talk about plato late at harvard and cambridge and oxford they don't get into that last part they call it very esoteric and uncertain what was socrates really talking about that tells us a lot about our society how materialistic and secular it is what socrates what the tale of Ur is about is the following even if you take a man and he dies and he goes back to uh, heaven and he has the right to choose any future life he can have when he comes back again to the multiple universe, the next universe or earth, whatever he chooses badly. He chooses reactively as opposed to proactively. He chooses what he didn't have last time because the grass is green on the other side of the fence. He doesn't choose wisely. That was a theme of the tale of Ur. And it, what, it, what it tells me, and this is why I love Plato. He's saying, man, it's so hard to be objective and in touch with the universal truths. Sydney question for you. Yeah. 
do you think mathematics is a feature of the universe or is it a human experience, a human construct? You think, I think. I'll bet you guess right. I'm going to say the universe doesn't know numbers, categories. It doesn't know anything about that. You're correct. How did you know that? That's my view. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm an engineer. <laughs> Mathematics is a joke when it comes to reality. It's an absurdity. It's an approximation at best. I mean, I, I would be platonic here and say that the, there are certain geometrical patterns and shape that are naturally found. Obviously, the language utilized by humans are constructions of human conceptions, but arguably there are numeratic patterns that could be found even across a different, let's say, life forms. Theoretically, if mathematical consumption uh, uh, theories would necessarily be derived, there would be the same parameters in set and the same functions, just different language and and in fact if we look at different let's say uh yeah, sectors within math looking at turn simon's theorems within geometric uh, patterns it was directly relational to let's say uh the the four-year variable equations in that sense within physics nobody really thought that until they were trying it into their problems and not many individuals within let's say mathematics and physics and or even chemistry would think that the interrelational aspects within their functions are actually present and so i would argue that Theoretically, there is a, a geometrical pattern demonstrated within universal constructions, as Plato would mention. Uh, I, I agree with that. There, uh, there is an underlying uh, nature, a signal, right? Yeah. But I, math I, itself I, is a tool. Well, it's about truth, right? I, 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 truth. I would, I would uh, let me ask you this. Uh, I'm going to be platonic here. Uh, in theory, uh, you should be able to, if someone throws a ball... Uh, you should be able to tell mathematically exactly where it's going to go, right? Absolutely. Fair. All right. Do you These think are that simple, the best... simple low-resolution equations, right? Yeah. Do you think that the best baseball player and the best golfers are the greatest mathematicians? So they wouldn't be able to describe what they're doing naturally. And this is where it becomes interesting, right? Um, Albert Einstein alludes to this phenomenon, specifically that there are two types of individuals, one that appreciates phenomenons and will continuously be amazed by these phenomenons, i.e. explaining why the baseball player is able to accumulate 100 and, uh, 103 pitch to even greater, uh, depending on the leverage generated in the body and the force and the angle. That's kinematics too, right? Kinematics yeah. as well, motion. If, precisely. Um, and I think that naturally it allows us to then extrapolate and enhance that picture through uh, different devices that that mathematician and other forms of, let's say, computer engineers will create programs surrounding those ideas and then be able to participate. With Have you so seen the Japanese uh, basketball player, that the one that can do perfect shots from anywhere? <laughs> I have not. <laughs> that's nice. Yeah. Anyway, separate subject. It's it's that's yeah. that's. I'd love to have that discussion with you. I, I've studied uh, a lot of mathematics, and um, I Sydney, find it, yeah. Can I, can I jump in there? I just, yes. from my from my perspective, I think it, math serves a purpose, right? Yes. You got to be able to measure something. Okay, if I want to build a deck, okay, this is how big this is. It serves a purpose in the reality that we're in. The more we get evolved, you know, more we can bend it, more we can change it. It is an approximation, but at right now, yeah, it helps. Right, so it's a stepping stone well, along the curve of bigger. I, I have trouble understanding what the point is since it has no length, width, and height. I understand. Okay, that. Is... No, I was just touching back on someone else. Yeah, carry on. You know, I, 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 to me personally, uh, uh, I agree with Plato. Plato didn't believe mathematics was the universe. Uh, he. Believed
So what's really interesting is um, ancient Babylon had uh, quadratic functions outside of their knowledge. When calculating yeah. the circumference of square uh, and different forms of uh, agricultural lands and dividing empty lands versus actual populated lands, they would yeah. subdivide different forms of quadrants. And by virtue, by doing these subdivisions on an actual, let's say, a geometrical shapes, they were doing quadratic functions. And it's only today that we have the language in order to extrapolate it. Now, if we even go back to their counting systems, how they were doing multiplications and division, it was actually an inheritable form of binary, utilizing number sets and, uh, let's say, real numbers versus uh, a, a number set. Yeah. Pardon me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting discussion. I, I think we could have that offline. Um, uh, we, you know, for sure. No, uh, thanks for that. That was a good little, he touched on that nice, and then it brought it back home. So, yeah. Thanks. Okay. Can we, um, I, I see Sabathius has had his okay. her hand up. Uh, do you have a question for Sid? I do. Uh, Sydney, I'm a, I'm a simple man. Um, when it comes to your allocation of Bitcoin currently, what is it and why? Me personally? That's correct. And you don't have to give an exact amount, just like a rough percentage would be enough for nice, me. Nice try, FBI. Sure, sure. I've got uh, some Bitcoin. I've got uh, more gold, uh, physical gold. I've got some uh, derivative on Bitcoin. I've got some derivative on gold. And I've got uh, real estate and I've got cash. Um I've got more gold and Bitcoin because uh, it's less volatile at the present time, and I can carry it with me. <laughs> has it moved in five years? It's the same price as it Isn't was. Isn't it so heavy, though? Well, Sydney, I hope when you say you have some Bitcoin, you have it in self-custody, because you mentioned that you can carry the gold with you. And as Jevy earlier spoke very eloquently, um, you mentioned I, that you can carry get, it within the 12 get, words in your head if you wanted to. I don't need to get on a computer. I right. Need, uh, you know what? I can right. actually pass it to a guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can, yeah, and you can pass Bitcoin to a guy as well just by giving him 12 words if you really wanted to. Um, but, you know, I just, I, I hope you, I hope you do self-custody your Bitcoin, whether it's through a multi-sig solution like Javi mentioned, which is the best, most I secure way if you're holding exchange. high value. There's no way I'd use an exchange. Perfect. Yeah, excellent. So therefore you are self-custodying, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, look, Bitcoin is like such a revolutionary idea, right? And it's such a revolutionary technology. And I think that it is the way forward for people to have true freedom in such a highly technological information age, I mean, I don't, which we are I don't, going I don't, to. I don't trust any one thing, right? I don't even trust all the things. Right. But, you know, history shows diversification. Uh-oh. Good. Uh-oh. Now you're on DJ Satoshi's shit list. <laughs> no, not at all. No, I I respect oh, it. Hey, Are you hey, kidding? Yeah, no. don't, don't lie. I mean, I think, you have no, no, no. I don't think he has you my got... address. No, 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 not at all. I, I highly respect. I only come back to a, a space more than once if I respect the host and co-host. No, uh, no, so, no. Yeah. I'm kidding. But DJ Satoshi, no, no, he has great spaces too. But, but no. But it it is interesting though to 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 hear someone say, you know, their allocation is not all in Bitcoin, and and for you to say that it's it's okay. 
Well, of course it is, okay, because it's a personal choice. You know, and that's the beautiful thing with Bitcoin is it's finally a money that every individual on earth has a choice to opt into if they want to. You know, they're not forced onto it. But by the way, by the way, can I can I recommend a book? Yeah, please. The True Believer, Eric Hoffer. Fantastic book. The nice, true, I'll check it out. The True Believer, Eric Hoffer, H O F F E R. Yeah, for anyone who didn't who didn't uh, listen to our anti-fragile um, space, I would definitely suggest checking that out. Sid is a bit a big advocate for building what's called an anti-fragile portfolio, especially in these uncertain times. And he talked a lot about historical cycles, um, which he went much deeper than, say, a Ray Dalio. <clears throat> that would be in our catalog of Spotify and Apple. Um, right. Anti-fragile? Anti-fragile yeah. portfolio. Yep. Yes. So my, my big question about gold, right, Sydney, if you don't mind, and, and Carl, if you, if you have the time, um, is like, how, how are you guys sure that what you're holding in your self-custody that you think is gold is actually gold? Because that was kind of my problem. Because I actually found Bitcoin because I started learning about gold and silver. Well, Sydney, correct me if I'm wrong, but you said you, you have some physical gold and you yes. also have some paper. Yes. Yep. Yep. I thought that was very smart. I'm actually the same way with, uh, with my gold allocation. It's, it's just... It's the paper gold is so handy to do on the phone and and jump in and but, out when I need it. But when, when you physical, say that you when you say that ahead. you have paper gold, is that PHYS? Uh, yeah, I, I know that's what Sid's talking about. But what are what are you? Don't have to say the exact. You know, are you are you talking about a, a, a you know like a, a mining company, company or or a physical trust? I'm sorry. Was that for me? Yeah, that's for you. Yeah. When you, you say you have paper gold, are you are you just are you buying a trust like a Sprott product, or are you talking about like you own Barrick Gold? I own both. I have uh, physical gold. Uh, obviously, probably smarter not to say where. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then uh, I just use Robinhood for gold and uh, gold related stocks. Okay. Right. Robin well, here. interestingly enough, you guys won't believe this, and I'll probably get kicked out of the Bitcoin community for saying this and admitting <laughs> it, but I actually have some physical gold as well. Um, but it's in the form of jewelry. It's not in the form of, like, you know, bullion or, or coin. Right. Yeah. So on a personal note, actually, one thing I don't like about gold, obviously, is, is you know, it's not that fun, right? It's something that you ha you have as a store of wealth and you want to hedge inflation and all that jazz. But um, I do go, when I buy my physical bullion, I go to, in Toronto here, I go to the Precious Metal Exchange. And one really cool thing about them is they actually buy state jewelry. So whenever I go there... I we you know we'll weigh the gold and I always try to get if I'm getting a piece of jewelry for as close to price spot as possible. Um, so you can have some fun with it. And then I have a 1983 gold coin, maple gold coin that I wear as a pennant. So you can have some fun with gold as jewelry. But um, Sphinx, go ahead. Hey, I just wanted to um, get your opinion on this, um, Sydney. We've talked in here. Um, about a couple times actually about how uh, we're, we're sort of seeing a movement toward more of a commodity-based currency system. And I'm curious to see what your opinion is with how that would affect um, 
the valuation of Bitcoin going forward and gold as well. Thank you. Well, uh, the question is, um, is, okay, I mean, t- to some extent, is Bitcoin correlated with uh, financial assets? Um, I think I think you'd agree the answer is yes, right? Now, whether it's 0.5 or 0.8 or 0.7, who knows? There is some correlation. And there's reasons things are correlated, which is basically if some if somebody only is in Bitcoin, he doesn't much care. But if he owns Bitcoin plus other stuff and he has debt, he doesn't need to liquidate in bad times. So there's some correlation. So that part is uh, is right. Now, as far as commodities are concerned, as sure as I can be about anything, um, we're moving into a uh, commodity world. Uh, there, but there, but there's, there's, there's two revolutions that are going on right now. There's two revolutions. The world governments are getting away from dumb currency and moving into smart currency for control. Uh, therefore, uh, our paper currency is soon going to become smart government-controlled currency. That's a problem. Everybody in the world seems to know that. And that's why commodities are, are – that's why gold and commodities are moving up in price. Um, now, should uh, should agricultural commodities and should lumber and should real estate correlate with gold? Well, I guess you'd think, well, no, I guess they shouldn't. But you know what? They are correlated. They are heavily correlated. They've been heavily correlated historically and they're heavily correlated right now. Uh, the world's uh, on the margin. The world's moving into a commodity type world. It's the it's the same idea as the Bitcoin libertarianism. Commodities, even the people who are part of the system, like I am, and I work for governments, etc. And, and you know, smart paper money, smart inflationary money. They're moving into uh, commodities for sure. Uh, will that have an effect on Bitcoin? Well, to the extent Bitcoin is an alternative to commodities, it's that's a positive. I'll also mention something else, too. When the interest rates went to negative, they hit their 5,000-year low. And in fact, even at zero, they're at 5,000-year lows. When the interest rate is zero or negative, which it is right now in real terms, it is negative, strongly negative. That means money is worthless, at least currently. It's sort of worthless unless it changes. So this move towards commodities is real, and it's very strong. And Russia and Iran and, Iran and Syria – and Saudi Arabia and China are basically as quickly as they can. They've been doing it for a long time, moving into a commodity-based indexed digital currency. Of course, that's the government-controlled digital currency, but it's all commodities. So we're we're in a world which we've not been into since the 1930s. So I was even I wasn't around in the 1930s. So we're we're in a world that nobody in this call has ever personally experienced, and I think we're moving into a strong commodity-type space now. Does the government want that? Do the governments want that? No, they don't. Uh, can the governments pass laws that you're only not allowed to hold commodities and stuff like that? Yes, they can. We're, we're, in a, we're in a revolutionary time in history right now. The last revolutionary time was the 1930s. Before that, it was the 1890s. Before that, it was the 1840s and 50s in the world. Before that, it was the 1780s and 90s. Before that, it was the 1650s. Oh, you know, we're, that's about every 150 years. We're in one of those periods right now. And, and, and people don't trust governments. They're moving the commodities. 
we're going to have to see what happens. Either governments will continue to get bigger and bigger until they can't get any bigger, or they're going to start to reverse. I think they'll get bigger before it starts to reverse. So smart people are privately getting into commodities any way they can. I'm back, Jack. Uh, I see your hand up. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for uh, letting me speak. Thanks for giving me a mic. Sydney, it's great to hear you speak. I've never heard you speak before, um, but but I appreciate your point of view. I think that you're I think your macro philosophy is is similar to mine, although you, you seem to know what you're talking about. I'm just I'm, I'm just like uh, wandering around at 30,000 feet. I have no idea what direction this is going to go. But I do. I did want to mention one thing that I haven't heard anyone speak about. Maybe you spoke about it before I came in. I think that the paper price and the physical price of uh, gold is going to it, it's going to diverge tremendously moving forward. That, what do you think about that? Tell me exactly what you mean by that. Okay, I, I think that I think that they've been manipulating the paper market for for decades, a couple decades anyhow, and that uh, if if everyone if if everyone tried to take delivery, you would see the physical price of gold just wipe out the paper price. I think that's a distinct possibility. I think manipulation is a distinct possibility. Okay, so I heard somebody say that it would be at around eighty thousand per ounce right now if they weren't manipulating the price. Where is that number? That's kind of where I heard what I heard before. I have to try to find where that number came from. The the other interesting thing I just wanted to mention that to other people in the room who who are thinking about gold as a possible um, alternative to other currencies, you're not really seeing gold represented accurately in the paper price. You have to keep that in mind. And there's a, there's a certain amount of faith in, in believing that, right? Because you won't know the true value until the oh shit moment happens. That's so correct. People, people should keep that in mind. That's number one. Yep. Uh, the other thing I want to say, uh, w- maybe you could give me some insight or, or clarify. I, I agree with you completely because it seems to be the trend, the commodities-based or a commodities-backed form of currency right um some kind of digital currency so i have like two two questions for you number one who do you think who do you feel will be controlling those commodities in the future that's number one and number two the government's going to if that's the case the government will lose or i think they're going to lose their ability to manipulate the value of currency so do you think that they would uh, how would they maintain control without the ability to manip- manipulate the value of the currency? Sure. Um, this is discussed in Plato in book three, by the way. And the reason it's discussed in Plato is because he had 500 years of history of a thousand city states. He had lots of historical evidence. At the end of the day, the government always controls the world the same way they always have. I don't need to say what that method is. It's well known. And uh, we all know what that method is. Um, It's called, uh, you know, uh, (laughs) physical force. That's what governments do. Um, Now, uh, I was going to mention one other thing as well. Okay. Uh, You know, I mean, you know, contracts and agreements are nice things to have when everything's going well. It's like when the Titanic went down, right? 
you know, this was going down. All of a sudden, people were ripping each other's faces off to get in the boats, right? <laughs> right? So they were really Correct. nice. They're really nice till the last second, right? Right. Okay. So that's that's people. Okay. That's mankind. That's why if you're uh, not that strong a person, you don't walk around at 2 in the morning anywhere in Toronto. That's why, right? So, you know, the world can be a dangerous place. you got to be careful. Dangerous meaning you're at risk of getting killed or worse or the same. Okay. Number two, um, this is the really important thing I wanted to share with you, which I've been thinking about. It's an idea. I think, I think I've got it right, but I, I could be wrong, which is the following thing. With robots and with automation, you don't need people to produce very much. Of the 7 billion people in the world right now, of the 7 billion people in the world, you only need about uh, 1 million people to actually know what they're doing, maybe 2 million people or, or, or 10 million people, but it's like one hundredth of one-tenth of one percent. Everybody else can just sit back and get stuff for free. Robots and roboticism almost true 200 years ago because it used to be like or 100 years ago it used to be 99 percent the world was in agriculture then it was 10 percent now it's like almost zero percent so physically in terms of physical goods people really aren't required so that the and this is what i was talking about a bit before i didn't get in, into depth on it the classical theory of value which is the labor content or the or the subsequent theory of value which is which is David Ricardo as opposed to Adam Smith, which is that it's labor plus rent plus capital. Uh, those theories of value, and even the Marxist concept that it's all labor, right? Those, those theories are gone. Uh, the value of uh, things now is not labor content or any of that stuff. It's something else. The world has become a, a, a place of ideas because of technology, etc., so that means prices and all this stuff. Why do people need jobs? Why do we have all this stuff? Well, we have all this stuff. And I'll just mention two things to think about. One is powerful people like Bill Gates and like, I don't know who else, but he's one of them. George Soros, he's one of them. Uh, Putin is probably one of them. Jinping is probably one of them, right? Powerful people need citizens or else they have no power. It's called vanity. It's called vanity. They need they need service. They need serfs. So that's that's something which has come into reality right now. Serfs were a reality in the Middle Ages, but then with the the technical revolutions, they were no longer required. So they created new jobs to keep them all busy. Karl Marx sort of knew about that. You know, opium, right? Money is opium. So that's something to think about when you talk about Bitcoin and all this stuff, right? So and and prices of etc. So what I'm saying is. You know, it's a very spiritual world. At the same time, it's a very physical world. But the old economic concepts of price equals marginal cost, marginal utility, value, etc., those concepts are out the door in the modern world. And new concepts have been coming on for 5,000 years, and these are just new ideas. And we all know that, you know, every culture is new and different. You know, cultures are all the same over time. Like, like you know, they, they're sort of the same. But the lifestyle is very, very different, and the mythology, the belief system, the languages are very, very different. So we're in a world right now where our cultures are changing, but the reality is we don't need people. Um, so, so that brings up one final question, and I'll, yeah. I'll shut my mouth. So th that's a brilliant concept. I love it. I, lo I love that, that you got me scratching my head. Um, do you, so the people. And by the way, before you, let me tell you how I came upon that. 
I was trying to figure out the prices of things. I was trying to figure out supply and demand and unemployment. And I realized it's a bit of a mythology to keep people busy. Go ahead. No, absolutely. I heard you loud and clear. Yeah. I picked up exactly what you were putting down. Believe me. Um, the interesting thing, though, is the next question, the follow on question is, will they wipe us out intentionally if we're not necessary? No, um, no. They won't. When you why, say would they they, have, why would they have us sit around on our asses um, sucking off the fat of their robotic land? Um, they, that's the well, point. they already are wiping us out in I, a way I, because of big food and, and big pharma and, you know, all the terrible medicine that they're giving us and, well, and the what, way they're practicing here's, here's, Western here's, medicine. Here's what I'm going to throw at you. Uh, the richest man in the world, the last man in the world or woman in the world or a person in the world standing all by himself with nobody else alive and all of his robots, he's not going to be happy. He's going to want at least <laughs> one other person there, right? Actually, one person's not going to do it. He's going to want two people there. Actually, two people. Aren't, he's, going to want, he's going to want seven billion people he can control. He'll be happier. And then I'll go to Mars and let's get eight more billion people there. Um, so that's that's human nature. Now, there's a theorem in mathematics. Maybe David can address it. David, have you ever heard of the theorem that proves that there are no uninteresting numbers? He already left. Oh, he did? All right. Well, the point is that it's called <laughs> it's called envy. It's called power. It's called desire to be God. So that's why that's why powerful people want people around them. They want serfs. And you know what? They want serfs that are somewhat intelligent, not artificially intelligent, but somewhat intelligent. And you know why? Because it's not fun controlling people that are artificially intelligent. It's much more fun <laughs> controlling people that are really intelligent, right? Does that answer your question? Sydney, you're brilliant. I'm going to follow you as soon as I, I shut my mic off. That's great. Sphinx, go ahead. You got your hand, your hand up there. Yeah, I just wanted to say, um, you know, if if you uh, come to these spaces and you you don't um, you haven't been coming and, and you start to come, one of the things that I appreciate uh, very much is that is that Sydney really um, brings in history, right? He he will even talk about very very far times in the past. And and though one might initially, you know, say what the 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 title is Bitcoin or whatever. Why are we talking about I don't know 1500 BC? I encourage you to stay and listen, because uh, in no in no place in no uh, area of life is uh, history right more relevant than when it comes to your money. And, and I see this now in spaces, in Twitter spaces, where whatever the topic is, that is what's discussed and nothing else is. I can't tell you how many spaces uh, I've, I've gone into and heard people talking about this Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia uh, <clears throat> recent development. But nobody talks about BRICS plus. Nobody talks about I, I mean, I said this in a space yesterday. I said these two countries hate each other. The governments hate each other, but they're both in BRICS+. Plus. They're both in this, you know, 
uh, thing. They can't, they have to get along. So, and this has started since 2014 that she has been working on getting them together. So if you don't consider these things, okay, you're, you're not going to make intelligent uh uh, decisions, and I just want to say this because also uh, it, it's very um, it, 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 when you learn about the how the past affected uh, the financial conditions of the time. Right. You learn about how current conditions will affect uh, us now or are likely to affect. And one thing I will just end with is you know a lot of people on this platform like to uh brag about how smart they are and how wonderful they are so i i'm going to say something else as a as a history major and a and a former private equity analyst at goldman i want to tell you that i made that big mistake i made the mistake of not considering history and current events and i lost seven figures last year because of it be- only because of it. So I just want to say it can happen to anyone. It can happen to, and even if you know, but when it comes to your money, please listen to people you don't like. Sometimes they have wise things to say. L- think about history. Think about current events and how they are parallel to former former current events that affected the economy and those relationships because they really mattered. And last year I really learned a lesson and I got to tell you, it really humbled me because I thought, you know what? I'm never, ever going to have to work again, ever again. And it really humbles you. But again, what's money? Money can be replaced, right? So I just want to share that lesson and say very humbly to everyone here, not as a uh, higher than thou, but as a I know it because I just experienced it. And I wish I wasn't, uh, you know, a few millions poor. You know what I'm saying? So I just, uh, just wanted to say that to everyone. Yeah, yeah I'd also recommend like Plato, like we've talked about. But there's also another guy who's actually fairly easy to read, Wittgenstein, the philosopher. Uh, any of his books, just just grab and start reading it. It's friggin' amazing. And there's one other writer who's dead now, but awesome stuff. I'm not sure if anyone's heard of him. Neville Goddard, N-E-V-I-L-L-E Goddard, G-O-D-D-A-R-D. Really deep guys, deep people, and easy to understand. Um, well, we've been going on for a while now. I don't see anyone else with their hand up. Uh, so last call for anyone if they have a question, a follow-up, or a comment. And uh, so, yeah, this is our final final call. I'll just say thank you all so much, uh, Carl. Really appreciate it. And Sydney, good speaking with you again. Yes, sir. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. And uh, Sphinx, you had a really nice compliment there because when when Sid and I kind of hooked up and and, uh, we decided that this was the right platform to kind of get his message out going back with history, um, you know, I try to pay attention to what's going on on Twitter with Twitter spaces. And I mean, I think it's a great place for people to go on and get an immediate reaction to, you know, news headlines. But I would say that unless you're trading, it's not there's not really a lot of value. Um, and I'll be honest, I was a little bit nervous because I'm like, I don't know if people are going to understand or want to pay attention uh, to long form content like this, uh, going back as far as Sid does. Uh, and people do. And I think it's great. And your, your comment was a really nice compliment to uh, what we're doing here. So I really appreciate that. You're welcome. And I wanted to thank you guys, Sydney, and you also for the space. And, and I wanted to encourage anyone 
who, if this was your first space, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the prior spaces that were recorded um, because uh, they are really, um, pardon the pun, pun intended, uh, pure gold. <laughs> pure, Bitcoin. <laughs> pure Bitcoin. Pure Bitcoin. Pure Bitcoin. Amen. Or we can just say they're, you know, seeking truth. Yeah, we're, we're trying. Like the guy said in uh, Pulp Fiction, I may not be the shepherd, but I'm trying. <laughs> Sydney, I just want to thank you and tell you, I think your 30,000 foot philosophy is brilliant. We need a lot more of that. A lot more. A lot of pain and agony to get here, I'll tell you. That's my wife. <laughs> so let's leave it there. Um, I, I did see a request come in right now from uh, from someone. It's this. We've we're, we're going to end it here. But thank you very much. And uh, Sid, are you going to be? Will we be? Bleh, are we going to be back next Sunday? Uh, we'll see. I may take another break here. I, I've been away for two weeks, and I've um, got my real estate. <laughs> I got to look into. I'm catching up. But uh, you know, as things evolve. Uh, we'll get back and uh, I, I'll continue to add on the historical narratives and uh, I wouldn't mind some feedback in terms of, uh, you know, we got fairly esoteric. you know, I, I'll be honest with you. I really like uh, spirituality. I really like Plato. Um, I like uh, the philosophers Wittgenstein. Uh, I like uh, Karl Popper and all these guys who, because all this boring university economics is like nonsense these days, right? There's, you've probably heard of the new statistics, right? There's good things to talk about. Why is why is statistics being invented? Look it up. Being reinvented. What's all the what's all the fraudulent data that they got to reinvent it? Literally, literally. So a lot of interesting things to talk about. But uh, you know, maybe you can you can you can uh, uh, get back on Twitter, uh, talk to me, or, or communicate with Carl. Let's see what interest level there is on these sort of subjects. Yeah, now, if ahead, something yeah. if something big happens that's novel, you know, we'll jump on and have a session. But uh, you know, right now, I think we've covered quite a bit in the last three or four sessions, and we'll see how things evolve in the next couple of weeks. But I, you know, I've got to get back to, you know, I've been away for two weeks, so I'm, I'm catching up with, uh, I'm quite involved with real estate right now in Toronto. And, uh, you know, that, that's courtesy of my daughter. It's amazing, right? I, I go there, I'm not really thinking about it. Next thing you know, because she's in private equity in L.A. and stuff in Texas. She says, "Oh, you got to get the real estate. You got to do this, do that." So we should do a we should do a, a space on real estate because I know someone that I, that would be a great co-host. Okay. Um, and I love real estate; it's one of my favorite. Okay. I really hope it's not who. I hope it's not a certain person. I'll I'll DM. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was literally just going to ask for that. I think real estate would be a great topic. I would have lots of questions on that for you guys, and also philosophy is also great. So. And Sydney, I love the way you bring in a lot of great stories and a lot of good um, philosophical takes. So thank you. And Carl, thanks again. Take care, everyone. Have a great night. I'm That's gonna very kind of you. Call it a good night. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And Sphinx, DM me who you were thinking of. I don't – the person I'm thinking of is, is really Canadian-focused, to be honest. Um, I think then we're good, but I'll DM you anyway. <laughs> okay. Are you thinking of global macro? All right, maybe not global no. macro. You know global macro, uh, uh, Carl? If not, I think you should uh, give The name a sounds he's, familiar, yeah. Yeah, nice. he's he's a really good uh, real estate guy, and he's Canadian as well. Okay. Uh, he's big well, into trading as well, so you guys yeah. might like him. Yeah, I said let's talk some real estate here over the okay. next few days. I want to okay. hear what your, what your daughter's been putting in your ear. Yeah, we will. Uh, we will. I came back here, and uh, I'm all uh, 
you know, can I get some more units? And I'm going to get it on my big office here and rent. <laughs> start to Airbnb. I don't know. I got, I got to study it, right? I'm no expert. I'm not even close. But uh, she's telling me, she's saying, man, she says, all the stuff you do is way too efficient. It's way too competitive. <laughs> Work with people that just don't know what they're doing. <laughs> she's pretty funny. funny. That is funny. Yeah, she's funny. Okay, let's leave it there. And, um, yeah, great space. All right, everyone, take care. Take care.